Polar Bears, Preacher and Popsicles, welcome to the Punisher episode of Marvel versus Marvel. It's a podcast where a movie fan who's never read a Marvel comic in his life watches Marvel movies and TV shows and then grills and quizzes someone who is a walking Marvel encyclopedia. Hello and welcome to the Punisher episode. My name is Rob Holden, writer comedian and the Marvel expert on deck uh, for this podcast and I'm joined as ever by the man who powers the whole operation through knowing nothing at all. It's Will Preston. <laughs> nothing at all. Nothing at all. So are we getting a Simpsons <laughs> reference in early? I've no idea, mate. I've no idea when you're doing any of them. I've no idea what's you happening. You just made a Simpsons <laughs> reference to stupid sexy Flanders. No, I did not. I did not. I said a collection of words that are just in the English language, a phrase, a sentence. It's not my fault. Your particular type of autism is fixated on this show that I'm afraid I haven't seen in 10 years. That's where we are. I'm not intentionally setting you up or doing this. All you I'll just say can't is help yourself. Simpsons already did it, so you probably did it without realizing. Simpsons done everything, oh, mate. Boo, boo, boo. Referencing boo. pop culture, <laughs> unrelated. <laughs> I want to be like Tim Westwood and have a deck of sound effects that I can play throughout a show, and I want to boo you and do like a thumbs down sound and everything. That's what I want. I've, I've got this. I could probably set it up. This is Stream Deck. It's what I use on my streams, and I can set the custom buttons up. But well, yes. Only no, I will have control. Too high tech for us. <laughs> then I think it's a terrible idea. Uh, will, are you excited about um, about Punisher? I I'm a little bit excited. I mean, I, I'll go into, into into more about the film uh, <laughs> later, obviously. But I have to say, after years and years of uh, people telling me eh, it's rubbish, I have to say it wasn't that rubbish. It was actually. Wasn't that rubbish? I want to put that on the promo and the trailers for this episode. Tune into this episode, guys. We're looking at something that wasn't that rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it it closes out our journey through the darker side of the Marvel Universe. We've been looking at the anti-heroes, Will. We, we started with, with Deadpool, one of the most popular... One of the most requested um, movies for us to take a look oh, at, yes. Deadpool, was... We, we've been hearing about it really since we started this this, this podcast. Um, Deadpool was our entry into the anti-heroes. We then um, took a look at, at Ghost Rider, which gave us a, a wonderful bonus episode, a wonderful spin-off bonus episode on Patreon, where we took a look at the Spirits of Vengeance, the Midnight Suns, uh, and then we had our our sort of our Venom symbiote saga, where we we looked at Spider Man three, and then in the last episode we took on Venom and we really dissected um, this the black symbiote Spider Man's time wearing the costume Eddie Brock. We even had that bonus episode where we see the the origin, the cosmic origin of the symbiote in Secret Wars. It was uh, a wonderful, wonder, it, tons of feedback about that, which we'll get to later I'm on. Happy, I'm happy to listen we to now that. Arrive, yeah. We now arrive at the thrilling climax. Y- y- you can only really end a-, a section of episodes on anti-heroes one way. It's with the daddy 
of all anti-heroes, the, the, <laughs> the reference point for anti-heroes, the man that kind of made it cool, and that is The Punisher. And that brings us to, to this movie here. And like we say, it might not be a terribly fondly remembered movie, but the character is deeply important. We've heard from a lot of people who, who have fond memories of The Punisher, and if you're going to be talking about anti-heroes, you've got to feature this one very prominently, which is um, which is why we uh, we are what we are with this. And we've got a lot to to dig into. We're going to have your thoughts and your letters on Punisher, your your thoughts on letters on the Venom saga that we covered. A lot of feedback about that. We're going to be talking about the entire history of Punisher, his conception. The, the, the birthing ground that he came from, his friends, his neighbours, even that weird time when he became a, a, an agent of heaven with supernatural weapons. <laughs> we've also got a really, really cool announcement about an extra episode we're bringing you before the end of the year, absolutely free here in the main show, and there's, you can get involved in that episode. We're really excited about that, so we've got that announcement to make coming up later on in the show. Ooh. We had some cool news this this week, last week. Oh, we some very, very cool news. If you've not seen uh, the little video that's already knocking around on, on, on Twitter, at Marvel Versus, or if you're some reason not visiting the the website every uh, every couple of days, then we'll break it to you right now. Your boys are sitting on over 10,000 downloads. <laughs> it's a good amount. Um, oh, it's yeah, wonderful. It's great... We've already spoken about it and said our thank yous. Um, and it's just, but it's just fun. We didn't, we never expected to do this inside of a year, let alone inside of half a oh, year, really. Totally. We? <laughs> I mean, we, we, we kept our expectations <laughs> modest and humble. Absolutely, but there, yeah. now there is absolutely no cause for us to ever be modest or humble again. <laughs> we, we are the daddies. Oh dear, oh yeah. dear, the Marvel daddies. Let's not have that. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty to be getting to. Um, a really cool announcement. Uh, but before we do, will mm. you're knocking out content multiple times a week? You, you, you're not just a 60-minute man. You do it multiple times a week. I want to know what's going on with the Twitch. With the Twitch. Well, uh, it's only been Monday. I'm doing it Monday and Wednesdays now. Uh, it's quite, quite... Well, what happened to Fridays? Uh, what happened to Fridays? I'm going to be honest. I kind of like having my Fridays free. Uh, and it's, <laughs> oh, fair enough. It's like, I, 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 I don't like it if I have something that I've got penned in every Friday that I have to do. I like having my Friday free so I can go, hey, I fancy doing this, or I fancy eating fried chicken, I fancy playing games without anybody watching me. But I'm on Mondays and Wednesdays, and this Monday, yesterday, last night, I finally completed Skyrim. Yay! And I tell you what, that ending was a very big anticlimax. Oh no! Yeah, you, you spend all this game having to kill this dragon called the World Eater, Arduin, and uh, you kill the dragon at the end, and then people go, "Hey, nice one!" There's no end ending. It's just, "Oh, great, you killed it." Okay, back. Continue with the game. What? <laughs> no, no final, no cut final cutscene. 
and and I spoke to other people. Actually, uh, I I because even even Street Fighter Two has a final exactly. Cut Games require a final <laughs> cutscene. But the thing is, I was obviously on Twitch. I play. I talk to the talk to people who are watching, and then can type in whatever. And I I just went. I looked in disbelief and went. Is that it? Is that the end of the game? And a new follower just went, yes. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and then they went, oh, the, the main quest, the main storyline quest is actually one of the worst quests. There are so many other better quests out there. But now I'm just, no, I don't want to do that. So I uninstalled it, it. And tom- tom- from tomorrow, I am streaming a brand new game I bought that looks to be fun called The Forest. Where I've got to survive in a forest where there's uh, mut- uh, cannibalistic mutants. And how can we watch you do this, Will? We, we can head over to twitch.com. Uh, yes, twitch.com slash. Or is it twitch? Is, twitch. is it twitch.com or twitch.tv? No, it's twitch.com. I don't know. It's your platform, it mate. Plat- Maybe you know it is. It is TV. It's not com. I'm I'm a I'm a millennial <laughs> saying things like. Well, anyway, com. find me on twitch.tv slash Will Preston eighty seven. Uh, I'm on Mondays and Wednesdays, six pm UK time. If you fancy watching, I, I I'm very chatty. I, you can chat with me about anything. It's a live thing. I think they are probably aware that you're quite chatty, I, Will. I don't think anyone who's listened to this show thinks you're a uh, a quiet little poppet in the corner. I, I can be if I want my <laughs> time to recharge. I'm a very quiet little poppety man. <laughs> well, that's how you can uh, that's how you can get in touch with uh, Mr. Will and watch him as he works and plays. An exciting announcement for you right now. Right here, right now. We're going to do it now, Will. Not later on. We're going to do it now. We've put together a... Not a bonus episode. Those those are on Patreon. This is going to be an extra episode Mm. for the end of December. The end of the year. We've we've already recorded a show looking back on our first year doing Marvel vs. Marvel. Will counts down his top five movies... Um, that we've we've ta- of the ones we've taken a look at, we go through them, we dig in, we explore what he likes about them, what he loves about them, and at the same time, we get Will to play. What do you remembered <laughs> about the show? <laughs> Will plays what a, a quiz I have written, the big fat Marvel quiz of the year. He he plays it in stages, multiple multiple rounds. Um, of, of questions uh, about uh, the MCU, about Blade and Spider-Man and X-Men, about the anti-heroes we just looked at. Um, it's all there. Will tries to uh, get himself a decent <laughs> score and prove to me that he's been paying attention and that these history, this rich history I've been sharing with him has sunk in. He plays that game and, and we've recorded the whole thing. Right at the end of the year, it'll be our end of year show, especially for you guys. You can play along with Will. All you need is is a a pen and a piece of paper or the notes app on your phone. And you'll be able to answer the questions and go, go, no, Will, that's not the right answer. What are you doing? And, And you'll be able to get the answers there. And what we really want to see is if you guys can beat Will's score at the quiz. It's a lot of ups and downs. He's chasing a certain score. It's a we had a hell of a lot of fun making. I, it. I think I I um, think I did quite well. Uh, well, be careful. Don't don't give. Anything I, I don't away. want to give anything away. Or, or but you know it's 
It 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 it, it was very hair raising," said the bald man. <laughs> so that's what you guys can do at the end of this year. It's not a review kind of digging episode of a TV show or a movie. But um, we've got an awful lot of cool stuff to go through. We've got loads of things to talk about from the year. Um, And what we're asking for is for your um, top five movies that we've looked at. And we're looking for your um, favourite bits of trivia that you've learnt or favourite moments from this show so far in 2020. Please send those in to us so we can put them all onto the package them together on the episode we've already recorded. And that way we can go through what everyone's top fives are. I've got my top five in there, which is a little dull, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Will's one we go through in stages, which is pretty cool. And you can play the quiz along with Will. Um, and we want So we want to hear from you and your top fives. So please uh, get in touch. And the best way to do that is via Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. Um, and like I said, it's not your favourite Marvel movies of all time. It's the ones we've looked at this year. Phases 1 and 2 of the MCU. Uh, you just check out the archives. You're all there. We, we, did, we did all the before the MCU Blade, Spider-Man, X-Men, the ones we've just recently covered, Venom and Deadpool and all of that. So we want to hear um, your versions of that because we're really hoping to put together a really nice adieu to our first Ooh. year. And in that episode, we have some big, big announcements about next year. Oh, yes. We're not going into next year blind. We have a real big plan for next year. We're going to announce it on Patreon first to our subscribers because those are the people that really, really matter. Uh, Those are the ones putting down cheddar each and every month to keep the show on the air. So we're going to let what we like to call some of our VIEPs know what's going on. Uh, but for the rest of the world, there will be this wonderful announcement on our end of year show. Uh, so that's really, really cool. We're excited to have done that. I think it was some of the most fun I've had this year doing that episode. <laughs> um, yeah. It was terrific. I mean, I was, a, I was a mildly drunk as well, but that's not really here nor there. Um, <laughs> mainly, it's because I spent about... Six years as a pub quiz master, yeah. and I haven't done it in a while, and I like that sense of power and authority. It gets me a little bit. I was a bit high. I was a little bit high on 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 power, wasn't I? Well, I mean, high or absolutely uh, steaming. Hey now, hey hey. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, let's let's focus down. Let's focus down now on what's before us, which is Punisher. Um, and the most interesting part then is getting to take a peek into the mind of a muggle, Will Preston, and a confirmed and affirmed non-Marvel comic book reader. What, if anything, was your exposure or knowledge of The Punisher before 2004? Well, maybe first of all, had you ever heard of this movie? I had Before. I had heard of the Punisher. I remember when it came out. Uh, also, uh, I feel mm. that whenever you say um, whenever you say the Punisher, I don't know whether you're supposed to say it like the Punisher or the Punisher, because it sounds like something well, I you say. I, I, with... I mean, I haven't 
I'd need a lozenge if I was going to do that all episode. Yeah, there is actually a way you can do that kind of voice without damaging your throat. Uh, singing teachers teach you. Anyway, I knew about The Punisher back in 2004 because of the, uh, only because of this film. And people were going on a, a, a little bit about it saying, oh, it's a Marvel. F- it's, it's basically the same people who do Spider-Man and stuff. But, oh, it's violent and dark. And it's like, oh, okay. Oh really? That's what you were hearing in two thousand and four when the movie was being released. Yeah, yeah. Basically, basically, this was my this was my first uh, ever uh, like knowledge of the fact that Marvel Comics, because I, I always I was more of a Batman fan. That Marvel Comics, you know, the bright way bright colors Marvel Comics was capable of doing stuff like this. It's so odd to me hearing. <laughs> Hearing people think of DC Comics as dark, but I okay. Um, I, I I do understand there's a Tim Burton movie that that dominates an awful lot, yeah, uh, of of that stuff. Um, so you had no knowledge of the Punisher then beforehand. Um, no, I um, no, I I never heard of the Punisher. Didn't even know about the other Punisher film, the one. Yeah, well, there's a reason for that, which we will get to. <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why why you and Slash nobody else has heard of that movie, um, which we we will take a little uh, a little dive into before we get going. Well, that that was concise then, mm. um, considering you have no. I mean, it, it isn't his first foray, as you said, in, onto the screen. It's not his first foray into any screen. We'll, we'll talk about it, but he. Made appearances in uh, various video games and in the Spider-Man animated TV series, yep. which um, was deeply, deeply popular and and spoken about in the same episodes that we got. I mean, this is one hell of a of a of a storyline in the Spider-Man animated series. You get Spider-Man mutating into a monster. He's battling Morbius, the living vampire. And he's crossing over with Blade and the Punisher at the same time. It's an incredible uh, cast of episodes going how, on there. How many episodes of the Spider-Man cartoon series are there? In total? Yeah. I've, I've no idea. There's, there's about five seasons. Okay, I'm going to st- I'm gonna have to um, really check that out. Four or five seasons. And there's, there's quite, a, quite a few knocking around. And some of them end up being kind of season-long story arcs. They get quite... Intricate. It's really interesting. Well, before we 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 kind of get onto the the history of of the character, what can you tell us, Will, uh, about the production of this movie, two thousand and four? We want to hear from one side of Marvel versus Marvel, which is the movie side of the equation. Um, what can you tell us? Dollars and cents is what we normally focus on, but is there anything else you can? You can divulge about this. I picture. think I'll divulge in the dollars and cents and the Deutschmarks and whatnot um, later. Uh, there's quite a bit of information Ooh, about okay. this film. Uh, for a film that wasn't that well known, not no one's really talking about it anymore. Uh, let's just dive into a bit of bit of information first. So, cast your mind back to May 2000. Marvel Studios negotiated a deal with Artisan Entertainment for a co-production joint venture that included rights to 15 Marvel characters. We're talking Captain America, Thor, Black Panther, Iron Fist, and Deadpool. The the deal was Artisan would finance the movies and the distribution 
while Marvel would develop licensing and merchandising tie-ins. The resulting production library, which would include uh, also include uh, TV series, direct-to-video films and internet projects, would be co-owned. So unlike the deal with Sony and Fox, Marvel received no money for this deal, but they would co-own the movies and the box office. Being allowed to use Marvel's characters for free is basically Marvel investing millions into the projects. Artisan, however, only made two Marvel films under this deal as they were bought out by Lionsgate Films the same year this movie came out. That is a... We talked about this briefly off-air. That is a bizarre concept to think about, right? If... First of all, this is is a... This feels like a crap... I mean, with the hindsight of the MCU, Mm. this feels like a crap deal for Marvel. (laughs) It does. But... But... Imagine if you know Artisan don't kind of go bust or get bought out by Lionsgate. We could have had from two thousand and four onwards a string of like low budget Marvel movies featuring like Thor and Deadpool. Can you imagine a low budget America? Can you imagine a low budget Thor? Yeah, I really can. I, 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 there, there are plenty of like crap, low budget supernatural movies out there, and it would have been something like that. Cool. You know, a guy with a bit of lightning, really bad CGI on Asgard. Ah, oh, just trying to picture it. Like, what films came out around then? It would look like. <laughs> I mean, Lord of the Rings was around at that time. I reckon it would have been like a very budget Lord of the Rings, and that's a good. Dare point. I say, yeah. that's what we got in the end. <laughs> <laughs> we got that anyway. <laughs> well, I don't know about low budget. I think yeah. I think they stack up, well, uh, you know, movie to they movie. They managed but... to afford Kenneth so... Branagh, <clears throat> Kenny B. What? What then? What then did they did did Artisan put up? What was the the the, the budget in the box oh. office of this movie? <laughs> this is this is this is uh, this is a bit uh, middling. Uh, budget <laughs> for two thousand and four. Remember, thirty three million dollars. And the box Yikes. Yeah. And the box office. Jesus. Oh, man. Get ready. $54.7 million. It's not, not worth doing it. That's, that's so bad. <laughs> not worth making the movie. It's bad. Not, not only that, <laughs> something else that's interesting. The director, uh, Jonathan Hensley, has said that whilst most action movies at this time were getting around $60 million to spend on shooting the movie, uh, he only uh, had $15 million to spend on production because the other $15 million was to pay the actors. Lots... Yeah. Right. John Travolta. That makes a lot of John sense. John Travolta's in this film. I mean, <clears throat> yeah. 2004, I mean, he's already gone past his John travolta since or whatever you call that. Basically... What was it? Uh, Mark Kermode used to say uh, Matthew McConaughey's yeah. rise again was the McConaissance, but it doesn't work with Travolta's mm. name. Yeah, because after Pulp Fiction, he sort of came back, and I think he'd already been like like top at this point. Um, he, he'd been, you know, he can just walk into any film and then go, "Hey, it's John Travolta. Great, he can demand a lot of money." But yeah, that make that makes sense. So, so he's not saying that like um, action movies had a budget of sixty million. 
He's saying Action Movies had a budget of $16 million to film the movie with after paying actors. Mm. So you get an action movie with Bruce Willis or whatever. Sure, you're paying him, I don't know, $50 million or something. But after you pay all your stars and your actors... The production, the, the filmmakers have another sixty million to you know film the film the thing to block off the roads and hire the yeah. cars and blow things up and you know hire the sets and build the sets. So to have made this movie, what's he saying? He made it on then half of half that. of that, yeah, fifteen. Yeah. Jeez, that fifteen million is like a. It, it, you, it's it's like a um, a decent advert, <laughs> a decent ad- advertising campaign would be about fifteen million. That is brutal. It's, I I, I kind of like the cheapness of this film. I will say that it does feel of its time. Also, lots of, apparently because of this, lots of the original script had to be left out because there wasn't enough to pay for the filming of it. it makes you wonder what that film must have been like in the <laughs> end. I mean, maybe what we were left with was bits that they couldn't cut out because it would have severely damaged running time. Uh, well, I do know I do know a couple of things about what was allegedly in the original script. Uh but we'll deal with that kind of as we go because they kind of come up they come up as we, as we as we keep uh, as we keep progressing. Yeah. Um yeah, we'll, we'll 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 get through those. Also, it's worth noting that this was the first film that Jonathan Hensley had ever directed, and at that time, his only credits were working as a writer for films like Jumanji, Con Air, and Die Hard with a Vengeance, which is fair. It's fair. I, I, th- I think I think that's pretty, pretty good. He's got a yeah, good, good track, track record. record. It's a shame there's not much. There's a little bit of flair in this yeah. movie. The flair he shows, though, I don't think suits Punisher. It does um, feel like they're trying to make the pun. Again, I'll, I'll go into it a bit more, but I will say it does feel like they're trying to make the Punisher a bit more likable and sympathetic than he should be, from my understanding. I, I, yeah, it just mm, yeah. D- depend- <laughs> one, one, one thing mm. I did want to chat to you about as the as the as the uh, the gamer of the two yep, of us me. is that I have very strong memories of. The PS2 Punisher video mm. game that came out in conjunction with the movie. Yes. Um, I I know that because um, it was a it was a because as a, as a comic book fan, I'm I'm reading uh, trade magazines like Wizard and stuff like that. So I'm 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 kind of dialed in on everything that's coming out. I know that the video game is actually written by. The story itself is written by Garth Ennis. Mm. Um, the cut, the cutscene story, and um, and so I was very aware of it. And I, I it was one of, I think it was one of the first purchases I made with my student, uh, my student <sighs> loan that I'd taken out to get through university, and it was intense. Mm. Have you ever played? No, this game? but I, I remember at the same time the Punisher film came out, people were talking about this game. They were talking about the torture scenes. I think that's basically... Uh, yeah. I, this is the thing about torture. Around this time, 2004, the TV show 24 was in full swing. And that was a TV show that glamorized right. torture as well. Well, not glamorized, but they said, oh, waterboarding. Oh, you yeah, have to definitely. do it because they're a bad guy and loads of people might die if you don't do that. And it's, I, think, I think the uh, well, political climate at the time 
was more attuned to ah torture torture for for the for the greater good is a uh, very very broad talking point. It's very zeitgeisty of that time. I would bet if we had some sort of magic eye to see the truth, we would find money connected back to the military-industrial complex behind anything popularising yep. torture. We've got to get the Western world to accept torture. Follow the drugs. Don't follow so the money. That'll take you anywhere. Let, <laughs> let's get Jack Bauer to waterboard someone in the back of the limo. <laughs> and everyone will go, oh, what could he possibly did you ever, do? Did you watch all that? I don't, I don't want to go on, a, on a too big a tangent, but did you ever watch 24? Mm, yeah, I've just, I, that was quite a deep reference I just made. Yeah, I, I watched certainly the first two seasons. I, I, I had seasons one to seven on DVD, and I got my mum onto it, and she's an even bigger fan than I am, but I don't think I could ever binge that again, because, it's, one, it's too many episodes, and, two, it's just problematic. The whole thing's problematic. Just to check in, Will, roughly how many hours of video games do you play per week? I don't think I'm, I, I, I should be <laughs> answering this question. I'm just saying, when you say there's too many episodes, just, you know... No, no, what I say is, <laughs> why watch 24 when I could be playing a video game? Oh, okay. See what I did? Okay. They're priorities, mate. Priorities. <clears throat> so is there anything that you, you picked up, you know about the, the Punisher PS2 game? Because it, 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 it made some headlines at the time. It did make some headlines at the time. Uh, well, I, I heard about it from a mate. They said, oh, there's torture scenes, but they've had to edit them, like, make them black and white or something. Or something in this country, apparently. They yeah, do. which is uh, very, very weird. I mean, the only around that same time, I think Kill Bill came out and they did a similar thing where they just turned one of the scenes black and white so they could get get it through censors. Uh, basically, the Punisher, right. the game, features extremely gruesome scenes of torture and gore. The uh, ESRB, which is the uh, uh, the censorship body, stated that the initial cut of the game would meet its adults-only rating, which severely hampers commercial availability. Um, also, uh, it, it was similar to games, other games at the time, like Manhunt, which was I. That was that was a, a dark dark. That was game. the one that got right. the main yeah. uh, headline attention. That was that, that <clears throat> suffocating people with a plastic bag, plastic carry bag. I remember that. Distinctly. I played my way all the way through that game, and I remember one one of my mates thinking I was sick for doing it, but I was like, "It's it's a game. I I could differentiate. <laughs> I, I could differentiate." He says, uh, "I can see you now just flying those drones right into schools." Oh, in some oh, far- uh, mate, guys, it's just. Uh, I was talking about the machete. Like, I'm, not even, I'm not even really paying attention. <laughs> oh to God, it. some of it made you win. Uh, this is uh, this is. I just disassociated from it when I blew up those schools. Uh, it was just, you know, I was just pressing buttons. No, guys. you've got to see what the film Eye in the Sky. <laughs> the Eye in the Sky is a great film about uh, drone pilots. I'm not, not that I'm glamorising uh, killing people with drones. Uh, basically, lo- just with just with plastic bags and machetes. That's like the good old, <laughs> like the eighties. Make it retro. Uh, basically, it, it, like like Manhunt, it would basically ha- it was very questionable the way you kill people. But with uh, with the Punisher, you would basically have special interrogation scenes, uh, which would be rendered in black yes. and white in order to reduce visual impact. Uh, right. So just just to, just to describe this to people that have ever played this game. This comes out two thousand and four. Um, what you do is you you do a normal kind of sh- shooting game. You shoot all the all the bad guys, right? 
and one guy is left alone, left left alive, and you have to grab him, and then you drag him towards an area in the level. Like one of them is in a kitchen, right, like a restaurant. So you're in the kitchen. You drag the bad guy you've captured over to the deep fat fryer. And then you hit, like, X, and it engages interrogation mode. And the pressure you put on the thumbstick pushes the bad guy's face closer to the burning hot oil, the burning hot fat in the fat fryer. And you are making him think you're going to burn his face off to get him to confess. And then after he's confessed, you have the choice (laughs) to either, you know burn his face off or not and there's scenes where you're doing the same but you're drown you're holding someone underwater to drown them to get them to talk Ooh. you're I, I'm, I think there's a waterboarding yeah, scene I don't like waterboarding. It's, and it's you're in charge of the pressure put on to make this happen and i have to say i'm not surprised garth ennis is involved because it is really that level of severe punisher violence that he would bring to a series that came out in 2004, the the, the Max, the Punisher Max series. Brutal. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it was actually one of the only games to require BBFC. That's the British, that's the British Board of Force, film classification. Sometimes they step in where they need to uh, rate games. It's the only one that had to be cut. Is yeah, that yeah, some, right? sometimes the BBFC step in to actually uh, put ratings on games because, like, on games. Don't get me started on, on get the game rating system. It's really weird because they have to be... Because I did this in college. They actually had an official come in and tell us about it because I did media studies like an idiot. Uh, basically, they they told us that censorship for gaming is way more difficult than censoring films because like, you have to have access to the entire wow. game, all the assets within the game because it's a different kind of art form. Uh, and it was the only, and so they, obviously they, for this one's so violent, they have to make sure there's that restriction on there. Not a mature rating saying, "Oh, by the way, there might be some violence." Not, no, this is a you cannot sell this unless you're eighteen uh, to, to an eighteen. You know, you, know, you can't you can't right. buy such eighteen. Uh, <clears throat> this is of course UK UK. Uh, we looked. You look at the UK version of this. What whatever happened in the states? It's, we don't uh, know. It's, it's, you well, know. you get you get an R rating or or an X rating. I think X rating is above R rating. I, I looked into this, but basically, it was the only uh, one of the only video games to require BBFC cuts in order to be rated eighteen. Wow, that wow. that just that just tells you how 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 much how 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 how, how gritty this is. And um, what's interesting about that is that that gains a lot of headlines. Oh, yeah. um, it's a shame it didn't convert into. As headlines often do, people going to see the movie. Shame. It is, it is a bit of a shame, but I, this is the thing with tie, tying games. I think it did better than the movie, from what from what I read. I, I did a little bit of research. It looked like they were trying to make a game that sort of tied in with the movie, but also included a lot of other Marvel characters in there and expanded on that. As you would, at Marvel games usually do that. If they're a movie tie-in, they would include a lot more in. But mm. I think. They, I think they were using it to, to, to do something on, on its own, if that makes sense. It was kind of a time, but they kind of wanted to use this point. Why don't we make a Punisher game? We can also make money from that. Rather than, you know, that, that closer link with the film. Well, thank you, Will, for uh, sort of setting the stage on the production side of things and, and uh, the little tie-in there with the video mm. game. Let, let's take a look now behind the page, behind the panel at the the history of this character, um, Frank Castle, the Punisher. Um, 
This is where I pontificate. <laughs> <laughs> there are three great mythologies of America. Uh, the the cowboy, mm-hmm. often featuring a, a lone gunslinger out for revenge. The the gangster, which is all about organized crime, corrupting the system. And the superhero. The Punisher is all three of those great American myths in one. <laughs> yep. Um, he is the cowboy, it involves the gangster, it involves the superhero. He really owes his existence, in my mind, to um, to the, the, the mafia, the, the New York mafia, really. Um, just in terms of, of how they captured public imagination. So just as Blade and the horror characters of the 70s we looked at owe their existence to the popularity of the famous horror characters in coming to f- fruition in the Hammer Horrors. And just as the Fantastic Four and Iron Man, we, we looked at how they owed their existence to these huge news stories in the public consciousness about radiation, nuclear testing, the Cold War, the space race. So the Punisher is born out of this national fascination with um, with the mob, with lawlessness, and with vigilantism. Um, 70s and 80s, the 70s particularly, are a very, very dark time in, in, uh, in New York. Um, it seemed like it was a golden age for organised crime. Um there's there's an awful lot of stuff under the the media lens. Rico cases mm. bringing down convictions. Something like thirty six high profile bosses and under bosses in high profile court cases. That kind of stuff dominates the press. Uh, mob figures like Joseph Garlo, Carmine Galante, Paul Castellano. That they're, they're murdered in broad daylight in public places. Oof. This is not like. Whispers and rumours, they're murdered on the street, they're murdered in restaurants, and newspapers and TV are full of these reports. It's it's impossible to to, to really escape them. Um The 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 Godfather, nineteen sixty nine, uh, Mario Puzo's novel The Godfather, huge Great sensation. book, by the way. Have you read it? Yes, I would argue with you on that one, but there we go. <laughs> oh, no, because I remember um, we talked about Sopranos before, and you talked me around some great things about Sopranos, but I, I'm a big fan of the God... I think The Godfather's fantastic fantastic two films, fantastic book. I I adore the films. <laughs> <laughs> the, the book is Airport Dan Brown. <laughs> it is absolutely... Devoid of any of the positive aspects from the movies. Anyway, oh, God. it spends 67 weeks on the bestseller list when it's released. It, it sells over 9 million copies and it becomes the highest grossing work of fiction in history at the time. In 72, the, 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 the movie is released and becomes this absolutely huge movie. I mean, it, 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 it's so popular. When The Godfather comes out, it's so popular. Cinemas keep raising the prices of the tickets. <laughs> um, they they keep they keep adding extra showings. Some theaters, the first week it's released, theaters are showing it seven times a day. Oof. 
Um, it's it's the number one movie in America for seven months. Becomes the highest grossing picture. It wins um, best picture, best screenplay, best actor at the Oscars. The big three, mm-hmm. um, and and then it gets like nationwide re releases. Two years, uh, no, the next year it gets re released. The next year it gets re released. <laughs> like, can you imagine that? Um, Incredible. So yeah, the, the mafia and organized crime are really huge in public imagination. And and it's not just The, the Godfather. Um, also in, in, in 1972, Brian Garfield released a novel called Death Wish ah. about a, a New York man who becomes a gun-toting vigilante after criminals uh, kill his wife and put his daughter in a coma. Mm. Um, the man ends up going on this kill spree against criminals, um, and and you know that that becomes a, a massive movie later on. But in the original book, he goes on this kill kill spree to kind of personal vengeance, vigilantism, protect his home, protect his family, and then he just descends further and further into this spiral of madness. He's consumed by rage, and by the end of the book, he's gunning down innocent teenagers because he doesn't like the way they dress um he he becomes this self-appointed arbiter of what is right and and, and it sounds a lot like the book i am legend the way it twists at the end Mm -hmm. Uh, that's that well obviously the films no no film of i am legend has ever managed to get the story right uh death wish that that, there were several films how many films death wish were there uh four or five i think the first one was directed Um, by michael winner that's right. You yeah. don't think of him directing um, films. You just think of him being well, be, being being a bit of a tit on television. Going, hello, my dear, hello. <laughs> That's how. I- very UK specific content here, guys. I'm very sorry. He was 15 years ago in a car advert. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> and that's what dear. Will's focusing on right now. Not all the movies he made. Yeah. <laughs> um. So so the the, the mafia. Being high profile, New York being in the seventies in the grip of multiple crime waves, rolling crime waves in the seventies in the late sixties through the seventies. So the, the popularity of, of of vigilantes, violent vigilantes in fiction, um, is really at an all time high, and 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 all this creates a ripe atmosphere for the Punisher's creation and his success. Um, another really important footnote is uh, we, we, we go to 1969 and a writer called Don Pendleton. And Don Pendleton basically invents a brand new way of making money from, from stories. Um, sort of. He, he basically invents the successor to the pulp magazines of the 30s and 40s. Cheaply produced short novels... Released every month. Every month he's writing a new novel, which is less than three hundred pages, um, and and it's 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 under the banner of action adventure, right? He that's the kind of term for action adventure novels that he writes, and he creates as the first and the biggest, most popular um, character for this a smash hit character called the Executioner. Mm. The Executioner, 1969, he's a Vietnam War veteran 
who returned home to discover his family have been torn apart and killed by the Mafia. Right. Realising the real threat to America is not in the jungles of Vietnam, but is actually organised crime, the executioner puts his military skills to use as a violent vigilante who goes to war with the Mafia. Does that sound familiar? Oh boy, does it. (laughs) Um, P- Pendleton uh, cre- 38 of these short monthly novels he wrote and created they're produced between 69 and 1980 and it goes on to have furthering success when he sells the character to another publishing company so that's this very fertile area so all of this is is bubbling away in the public consciousness while meanwhile at Marvel Comics something Fundamentally seismic is happening. 1972, Will. <laughs> Stan Lee stops writing The Amazing Spider-Man. Oh. Okay. He... He, um... He stops writing everything. And, uh... He becomes the... Uh, he stops editing. He becomes the publisher. Like, top of the... Top of the pecking order at Marvel Comics. And... The task of writing... The Amazing Spider-Man, one of Marvel's flagship comic books, is handed over to a 19-year-old kid called Jerry. (laughs) Hey, you are, Jerry. Excelsior. Um, That's such a good stand. Thanks. Um, Jerry Conway is fascinating. Uh, So he's 19 when he takes over The Amazing Spider-Man, which is baffling but he he sold his first comic book story to dc comics at the age of 16 what um jerry conway is a new york kid who would he was a massive comic book fan and he he basically at the bottom of every um marvel and dc comic they have legal writing which they have to have on anything they Mm. produce and contained within it is the address of their offices. And Jerry Conway, as a young teenager, as a child, went, oh, I know where that is. (laughs) And just started going to Marvel and DC's offices. And he visited them all the time. And in fact, DC Comics at the time had um, a tour that the members of the public could go on. They did tours multiple times I was about to say, I I like the fact there's a tour coming up, otherwise it's starting to feel very much like the king of comedy. Wait for it. Um, so, Jerry Jerry uh, goes on the tours at DC Comics and realizes after the tour has ended, there's no security. <laughs> so he just walks around the office to DC and starts hanging out, and he, no one stops yeah. him. So every week he would hang around and bug editors and writers with <sighs> questions, and he would. Walk the offices trying to find someone who'd listen to his story ideas. Oh, that's good hustling. And he found people that would. And and eventually, a legendary comic book artist uh, turned uh, editor, Dick, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Giordano, really took a shine to Jerry Conwell, took him under his wing, and started teaching him this is how you write comics, kid. This is how we do it. This is what a script mm. looks like. This is what a page looks like. This is how you do dialogue. This is how you format action. 
And, you know, based on that, when he's 16, he sells his first comic, uh, his first story idea, and he keeps selling them from, from the age of 16. He ends up becoming friends because it's a, it's a very small community. These are not these are not huge corporations like they are now. They're not conglomerate. This is a tight knit little group. Even you know, bo- and both you know groups know each other. A lot of artists and writers yeah. from Marvel and DC um, share apartments because New York, you know, it's not as it's not like it is now, but it's cheaper to do yeah. so. And once you're in, you're kind of in. Uh, Jerry becomes friends with with Roy Thomas, who is an editor, writer at Marvel, and editor at Marvel, and begins getting irregular jobs for Marvel. And, and he writes pretty much by by seventy two. He's written pretty much every single Marvel character that is published. Uh, and then his his buddy Roy Thomas becomes editor in chief because Stan Lee becomes moves up, becomes publisher. No one's writing Amazing Spider Man anymore. And the gig goes to 19-year-old Jerry Conway. <laughs> a side note on this, around this time, there's a lot of young faces. 19-year-old Jerry Conway, there's a bunch of guys who are kind of like mid-20s, between 20, 20 sort of 5 and 30. And it sounds really cool and exciting. And it sounds like Marvel and DC are looking to promote youth. Ah. But actually... <laughs> All the established guys from the 50s and 60s are all now demanding pensions, dental, (laughs) medical, better pay rates, holidays. And so Marvel phase out all these legends. And DC did exactly the same. Wow! The industry phases out all these legendary writers and artists and say, we don't need you because we've got a bunch of kids who don't know anything and are just... Massively excited to be working comic books. So anyway, that's just in case I gave the impression that it was a cool moment that youth was winning. No, capitalism still wins. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so 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 uh, Jerry Jerry Conwell takes over um, Amazing Spider Man and is responsible for some of the biggest moments. One of perhaps the biggest moments in the history of Spider Man: the death of Gwen Stacy. Ah. He writes that. He writes that story in 1973 with 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 uh, assistance from Roy Thomas and from um, um, John Romita and others. Mm. Eight issues after killing off Gwen Stacy, Jerry Conway introduces the world to the Punisher. Okay. Now, scratch from your mind, Will, what we think <laughs> of as Frank Castle and the Punisher. Here we go. He's a, he's originally conceived as this B-list Spider-Man villain, mm. a, a henchman to another villain. Um, we, we talked about this guy remember when we did our um, Clone Saga bonus yeah. episode for Spider-Man. Okay, we talk about when we have the night that Gwen Stacy died. Not only does Gwen Stacy die, but Norman Osborn dies. And Spider-Man loses his biggest villain, the Green Goblin. So Jerry Conway and phenomenal artist Ross Andrew create an, a new evil green-coloured villain to be Spider-Man's number one villain, the Jackal. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and, and Conway wanted, excuse me, the Jackal to have a distinctive-looking henchman slash assassin 
that could be used to make Spidey's life miserable for a couple of issues. This is the number one most common way a new character is introduced. Um, and there are tons, there are dozens, scores of these in Marvel where they've got a mask and a name, but when you actually dig into it, they're just a guy with a rifle. <laughs> He's a costume mercenary. He's called the the Killing Man, and you go, oh wow, he sounds a bit nasty in his face. What's he do? He just he shoots you with a gun. He has oh, access oh, okay. to a how firearms many, license. How, how how many issues is he in? Three. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. And then ten years later, he comes back for how many issues? Two. <laughs> right. Doesn't sound. No, he's a big deal. So. There's loads of characters like yeah. this. There's no reason to think this would be anything. You know, um, Jerry Conway, in an interview in his own words, says the idea was to create a secondary henchman to to, uh, to the Jackal. I thought this would be a one shot throwaway character, a one shot throwaway character. But in development, as we got through the character and the name, it became clear. This was a character that had more potential. Um, uh, originally, this henchman character that, that Conway has come up with it was called The Assassin. And his backstory is so similar to the Executioner books that we talked about that it's very clearly a direct ripoff of these books that he's been reading because <laughs> he's 19. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Conway has said, I was fascinated by Don Pendleton Executioner character, which was fairly popular at the time, and I wanted to get this. I wanted to do something that was inspired by that, although not in my mind a copy of it. Bull. No, 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 no. The word Bull. you use is homage. It was an homage to the character. Absolutely, yeah. uh, but homage to a character that's like three years old. <laughs> like when you grow up with a character and it becomes ingrained as part of you, and you look up to it, and you respect the author, and you admire it, and you want to emulate it. That's an homage. Guy started publishing it two years ago. <laughs> like it's just a ripoff at that point. <laughs> so, so Conway creates. Uh, although you don't get much of this, you get a touch of it. But in his mind, he's creating. Something that's so similar to to the executioner. Conway has drawn a character who had like a normal kind of jumpsuit with a death's head skull on the breast. Um, and while this was being developed, Marvel had John Romita Senior at the time as their art director. John Romita, legend among legends, defined the look and appearance of Spider Man for decades. And he he sees this and he takes the little death's head that would be basically like, you know, the, what's those, Lacoste or any of those shirts where you've got just like a little design on the breast. That's all it is. The guy playing polo or the the, the crocodile or whatever. And he goes, no, 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 no. And he takes the death's head and he blows it up. So it's giant and it's on the whole front of of the costume. It's not a shirt, it's a costume. And he takes the teeth at the bottom of the mm. skull and turns them into um bandolero of bullets yeah. at the bottom across the belt. Gorgeous, brilliant idea. What do we say 
about the the the, the venom and the and the black suit Spider Man idea. Iconic. Yeah. Two tones, black and white. Big bold image, but it, it, it's simple and it's concise in what it's conveying. Fantastic. Um, once uh, Conway decided to give the assassin Frank Car- Frank Castle this kind of backstory, like this kind of executioner inspired concept, you know, sort of Death Wish and the Godfather and all of that, he starts to realise how much potential the character could have in being spun off into a leading character. And he, and, he, and he he says, he says to everyone, I think this could have, like, I, I, we can't do it in this story, because in this story, we haven't got enough room. Mm. But this is what I see the character as being, if we can do something else with him. And then in steps Stan Lee, the new publisher. Ooh. And Stan, like with a lot of greats, doesn't always have to be involved in boots to braces, but he can just tweak those necessary tweaks. He knows Jerry wants to wants Frank Castle to be like a main character one day, and he knows the name has to change. The assassin is a crap name. <laughs> it is far too generic. And on top of that, if you want this to be the lead character in a 1970s Marvel comic book, the assassin has just too many negative exactly. connotations with murder. A heroic figure, you can't picture mm. that, can you? So Stan Lee digs back into the vault, and, and when he was writing the Fantastic Four in the 60s, Stan had one of Galactus's cosmic robotic henchmen called the Punisher. And he knows straight away that is a much more fitting name. And so... Spider-Man villain the assassin becomes the Punisher. Um and you know he 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 makes that first appearance and it's kind of one and done. He he's tricked into attacking Spider-Man by the jackal and then he realizes the folly of of he's been tricked and all of that. Um and it's not exactly an explosion of popularity. <laughs> it's not exactly like people are writing in, you know like we talked about Spider-Man with his first appearance was in the last issue of a comic that was already been cancelled and it was given Martin Goodman the publisher said Stan if you want to write this guy so much one issue and then shut up about it (laughs) but the sales were so high and people wrote in about the character so much that they had to publish and keep doing the character this was not the case with the Punisher (laughs) it was that was it that was the end of it really Um, he, he would he would go on to make some guest appearances throughout the 70s and he'd be at odds with other heroes but none of them caught fire none of them were particularly interesting or exciting 10 years after his first appearance 1982 Frank Miller is in the middle of his seminal and groundbreaking Daredevil run and Frank Miller decides to use the Punisher as a as a character for it ah yes yes and i know about this one that that really lights things that really lights things up um it's still not what you might recognize as frank castle today but we get frank miller presenting the punisher in this kind of neo-noir modern a modern light not a 1970s guy with a rifle trying to shoot spider-man 
there's a there's a modern light to him. It's kind of it's a bit grittier, it, 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 and it's it's shadier than the kind of colourful Marvel characters. And he clashes with Daredevil, and they get to Miller gets to write this kind of dialogue between the two that essentially kind of puts Punisher's perspective on on killing bad guys for the first time in Marvel. I mean, he's had a few like melodramatic throwaway lines in the seventies. I must kill them <laughs> because you know, but it's not really something you can jive with. In this story, you get like. Frank Castle is berating Daredevil and other and other heroes like him for not doing what needs to be done for for you know following what they think is a higher principle when at the end of the day all it does is let bad guys get back out on the streets to cause more misery. And this is kind of the first time that this is being presented early 80s. And that's really key because after a decade of limited interest the 1980s are the boom period for for, for Punisher. Um, it takes a while to get there, but by the end of it, by the end of the 1980s, he's the most popular character Marvel have got up there with with Wolverine, perhaps. Um, and let's not forget the 80s are the era of Rambo, yes, yes. of Commando, Die Hard at the very end. You know the the one man army yeah. movies. One man on his own, but one man who's very good at killing things <laughs> on his own. Um, Marvel uh, starts in the in the mid eighties. Starts to publish limited series. So the vast majority of what we talk about with Marvel Comics is an ongoing, an ongoing series. They get published every month. Marvel in 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 the mid eighties, with the benefit of comic book shops coming to the forefront so no longer do all your comics have to go out into newsstands and walmarts and grocery stores you now have dedicated comic book stores where dedicated comic book fans will go you can actually create a smaller number of comics just for that audience you don't have to think is a mom gonna buy this for her son you think is a kid gonna buy it for themselves is an older person gonna buy it for themselves you have that brand new market opening up the emergence of what you call the direct sales market the dm so these limited series are are kind of a a new and cool idea and a writer called stephen grant has been pushing 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 marvel let me do a limited series about the punisher (laughs) and marvel are like who (laughs) what the guy from the guy with the big skull (laughs) the guy with the gut nah mate he's a z-list character no one cares about him, and he's really violent, and he's not really a hero. This just sounds like a terrible idea. Who's going to buy this? Uh, a really respected editor gets involved called Carl Potts, and he puts Stephen Grant with um, an artist called Mike Zeck. Mm. Steve Grant is, unfortunately for Steve, he's very well respected now, at the time, a nobody. Like, not a nobody, nobody, but he's not going to sell a comic yeah. based on his name. But Mike Zeck is an artist we'll remember from the Secret Wars episode who became a superstar after Secret Wars. Remember that comic sold better than anything else in the last 25 years? years. So Mike Zeck's name is like printing gold to Marvel Comics. So 
Carl Potts, the editor, goes, "Okay, you hate the character. You don't like the character. You're not a f- you're not not a fan, but you don't think Steve Grant can do anything. What if I sweeten the deal with Mike Zek <laughs> and Marvel go, "Okay, fine, but here's the deal. Two conditions. We'll publish this little four-issue limited series. First of all, we're not going to promote the series or advertise it in any way. <laughs> not even in our other comic books. We will not run an advert for this series in any other comic. And on top of that, if anything goes wrong and it's a failure, Carl Potts, your job is on the line. <laughs> um, which was a rough, rough deal. Um, but it, it didn't fail. It was a modest, modest success for the for the for the for the limited kind of run it was given um and it's really key you have to think about marvel in 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 this point of time in the 80s comic books might be starting to drift towards literary things like watchmen and sandman yeah. and hellblazer and vertigo but it it we're, we're you know 86 we're in the nascent of it we're, we're not really there yet and marvel is way Marvel is way behind DC when it comes to adult stuff like this. It, it features very rare for Marvel at the time a character commits suicide um, rather than face the violent retribution of the Ooh. Punisher. He kills himself. Um, an innocent little girl is murdered in a shootout between mafioso dudes, like caught in the crossfire, Ooh. dead. And there's a scene where it's not you don't graphically see a sex scene, but Punisher goes to bed with someone, and the next morning, her like slightly covered naked form is in the bed, and he's walking away. So it kind of features the main character having sex. Some three things that really really rare in 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 Marvel um, at the time. Um, they <laughs> they also had to clear something up. <laughs> it's just. So, okay, let's remember, Marvel uh, do not care about this character at all. Yeah. At all. So, they aren't putting any editorial hold on the character. They're not controlling what other writers on other comic books are having Frank Castle do before his big new comic comes out. So, right before his his starring role as an anti-hero, the lead in his own series... An issue of Spider-Man features the Punisher going absolutely nuts. He murders people for jaywalking. <laughs> he he shoots a taxi cab for running a red light. Uh, he thinks he sees a husband hit his wife in an apartment. So he shoots a missile what? at the apartment and blows it up. And he's presented for the whole issue as completely unravelling, going absolutely violently out of his mind. Which is, if we remember, that's how the, the, the Death Wish novel yeah. ends originally. It's like the natural conclusion to a crazed... Like, it starts off, Al shoots a killer. And then it's like, Al shoots a, a, a purse snatcher. And then it's, I'll shoot a guy I don't like the look of. And that was felt to be the natural mm. conclusion of a vigilante story. So, the writers of that have no idea what's happening with the character. No one at Marvel has said to them, whoa, hold your horses. <laughs> uh, we've got a comic with him coming out in a week. <laughs> <laughs> so 
the 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 Punisher um the, the the Punisher limited series has now got this huge obstacle that the Punisher went mad killing innocent people and is in freaking prison. <laughs> so they have to rewrite the start of the series and go, Oh, oh, Jesus, what have you done to us? And so the first thing that happens is like the Punisher is walking around prison going, Well, I was poisoned by the mob and it sent me crazy. <laughs> Now let's never speak of it again. Oh man, that, um, that, what what is that? That isn't a Deus Ex Machina, is it? That's a that's an Armin Tamsarian. Armin Tamsarian. I love the fact that even though you know you're not so hot as I am on The Simpsons, you you are using that. Uh, oh, classic! I got the classic, class- and that's post classics. Admittedly, yeah, I, I, I I appreciate the use of that. So. This 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 Steve Grant Mike Mike Zek um, series is is like market research to see if the public want the Punisher, mm. and they basically say yeah, it looks like they do. So the next year, Marvel commission uh, an ongoing monthly comic book featuring the Punisher, the lead character, and and this time Marvel do promote it and they do advertise it. And hey, guess what? What do you know? When you promote and advertise an exciting new character, it becomes a hit. And it runs for years, 87 to 95. That is, well, peak Punisher popularity. Kind of mid-80s through to early 90s. Peak, peak popularity time. Um, that series features real fan favorite elements like the battle van Ooh, which is this. his mobile like transport unit with all his stuff all his weapons and resources and things in it and he's got like a medical center in there but it's just a van it's not like the batmobile but it's it's still got stuff in it he gains a supporting cast member called microchip who acts basically like the cue yeah. to his James Bond and he fits Frank out with all kinds of like high tech military gear and kind of gadgets and stuff to evade the police um, 88 the year after uh, Punisher is gaining such popularity Marvel create a second monthly comic book Punisher War Journal he's now got two monthly comic books coming out when two years ago Marvel was saying don't know if we actually want to do anything with this guy he seems like a nobody (laughs) Um, 87 New World Pictures make a low budget movie The Punisher starring uh, Dolph Lundgren Mm. as as Frank Castle it doesn't go great it gets a super weird cinema release so it's released in Australia and parts of Europe, <laughs> but not all, and not America. It does not get a cinematic release wow. in America. It does, however, get a video release in America four years later. Um, so it's not like a big deal. But Punisher is still at this time one of Marvel's most most popular characters, and you can you can kind of really pin this down to things like. It's the era of the of the antihero in full effect. The the action movies we talked about, the gun toting badasses. It's also the era of of Reagan, the era mm. of the war on drugs, the era of the media and the public mind being focused on being tough on crime, 
Punisher is tailor made for the eighties. <laughs> like the seventies, yeah. man. It's like it was created a decade too mm. early. If you'd been created in the early eighties, bang, he would have hit the ground running. He had this decade of inactivity. Um, in in the nineteen, the early nineties, Punisher gets. Uh, a home video release, uh, Nintendo and Game Boy and stuff, and then he also gets Capcom. Capcom start their relationship with Marvel with the Punisher. Think of all those Marvel versus Capcom games that still rate to this day and are really popular and really cool. Capcom's first Marvel game is the Punisher. They make an arcade game where you can play as either Punisher or in two-player mode, you can play as Nick Fury in The mm. Punisher. And the Kingpin is the big bad guy you're getting. It's a two-player shooter. I deeply remember that game from my youth. Um, 1992 Marvel launch a third Punisher monthly comic <laughs> book called Warzone. Only Spider-Man at the time has had that many ongoing monthly wow. comic books. The X-Men are slightly different because the X-Men have different like, characters. you know... Different different yeah. teams and stuff, but for one character doing it, ninety two Punisher has got three ongoing monthly comics: The Punisher, Punisher War Journal, Punisher War Zone. In ninety four, he he appears on the Spider Man cartoon that we talked about, and he's got all his high tech gadgets in that. None of his guns fire bullets; they all fire, you know, harmless lasers <laughs> that make you fall asleep and stuff. <laughs> um, it's a good, it's a good, it's it's a really good series of episodes. They actually address that. Um, there's uh, microchip says to him, uh, things are pretty rough for us, Frank. We need the good publicity of capturing this spider monster. Don't kill him this time. And he goes, what? He goes, please, Frank, switch to the non-lethal ordinance. And he goes, <laughs> fine. For the next four issues, four episodes, I won't kill anyone. Um, <laughs> But but this is sadly around the time when his popularity really starts to drop off big time. Uh, he, he's basically he's overexposed, um, and and ninety ninety five they cancel all three Marvel uh, Punisher oh, comics wow. in the same year. Wow, and sales have plummeted. They they a couple of years later they tried to. Um, Re- revive it. Frank kills himself and then comes back to life as an avenging angel mm. with supernatural guns that let him kill ghosts and demons. That's far less problematic. It's, it's Ghostbuster meets Deathwish. <laughs> super weird, super yeah. wrong, but so bizarre. It sells really, really well. <laughs> um, but all this is really just a precursor. The, the weird stuff they do after cancellation, it's a precursor to, to the best thing to happen to, happen to Frank Castle in years, and, and that, that's Garth Ennis. Mm. Um, You're not a big fan of Garth, are you? That's not true. That's not true at all. I'm a massive fan of Garth Ennis. And I am equally a Big critic of yeah, him as well. Yeah. Just, just from all the, yeah. he has written some, he has written some of my favourite things of all time, and he's written some things I really dislike. Um, yeah, and I, I and I feel I need to read the ones that you really like, but unfortunately I can't because it would break the format of the podcast. <laughs> 
that's not true. You can read all of Hellblazer. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I could do Hellblazer. And Dan Dare, his Dan Dare series for Virgin Comics is brilliant. But not um, even Preacher, not you don't like stuff. Preacher. I don't well, well I don't mind Preacher. It's okay. I think Garth gets in his own way many, many mm. times. Um he needs I believe he needs a stronger editorial kind of hand of some description. Yes, anyway, pun, history mm. of Punisher. Uh so so by by the year two thousand, um Joe Quisada has become the he's like this visionary creator and editor. He's he's taken over Marvel as editor in chief, and he knows that uh, Garth Ennis is just coming off. He's just finished Preacher. Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon. So Joe Quisada, who is all about putting the best talent in the best position to save Marvel Comics, which has only just been rescued from it was bankrupt and then it was sold and then it's just coming out the doldrums Joe Quesada's creative decisions are a huge part of why it ever succeeded again Quesada ensures that the two hottest guys in in, in comic books at the time Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon their first post-preacher job is for Marvel Comics and (laughs) Ennis has said of all the Marvel Comics that exist, uh, characters that exist the only one I can ever write on a regular basis is Frank Castle. If you like Preacher, mm. you will love Ennis and Dylan on Punisher. Okay. It is brilliant. Ugh. It is, to my mind, better. Okay, okay. I know I don't want to go, go down into the hole, but I, I am a massive fan of Preacher. I, I absolutely loved and adored reading the whole thing over and over again. So... Dylan and, 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 mm. and Ennis return Frank Castle to life. They ditch the weird supernatural stuff. They actually subtly use it as a way to kind of go, oh, this is why he's actually not that old, even though he's from the ah, Vietnam War. Very good. Died and came back, sent back from heaven. There's this whole great thing of how heaven tried to punish Frank. <laughs> Because by sending him, by showing, taking him to heaven, showing him his wife and kids who are happy, and then saying you don't get to be with them, and sending him back down. to I was to about Earth. to say, and yeah. he's like, uh, surely uh, heaven's not the department for punishments. I thought that was the other guys. <laughs> no, uh, but Frank uh, now revels in being back, ah. um, back in the muck. Uh, and they introduced this something that, that's been missing from Punisher all this time, which is a dark, dark sense of humour. Mm. Um, admittedly, under the confines of an editorial hand, so you don't get you know all of the all of the gross out stuff you get in Preacher, which is unnecessary. Um, but you get packed full of mad characters, comedic yeah. violence, and this dark sense. It's it's really really brilliant. Um, Ennis and Dylan save the character they absolutely save Punisher from where he, he was in the doldrums and they completely save him to the point that editor-in-chief uh, Joe Quesada says to Garth Ennis you can write Frank Castle for as long as you want Ooh. to and Ennis says okay then and he writes them for the rest of the decade Amazing. for as long as he wants Amazing. to um, 2004 just as this movie is coming out uh, Ennis and in Quesada and Marvel actually end what is called the Marvel Knights edition of Punisher because in the wake of 
September 11th, Ennis didn't find anything funny about that level of violence and terrorism anymore. So he wanted a brand new spin on Punisher and they take him out of the Marvel Universe and they create a brand new series in the Marvel Max range. The Max range, we are talking about ratings earlier on. This is mature readers only. This is Marvel's way of making something like Vertigo where it is not for children. And it's outside the Marvel Universe and it gives Garth Ennis tons more creative freedom to follow this brand new world and direction for the Punisher. That's something I'd like to do a lot more on. We obviously don't have time here. no, no, no. So that will be our next bonus episode. Excellent. Our next bonus episode over on Patreon will be um, talking about the Garth Ennis run with Punisher in the Max series, which is one of my all-time favourite comic book series ever that I have ever read in 30-plus years. We'll go all into it. The international terrorism, the, the, the world wars that nearly happen, and the only other Marvel comic book character that features in this new universe other than Frank Castle. All to be talked about over on Patreon. That was a That was, a that was quite a journey. That's yeah. quite a journey. There's a lot. I mean, it's very hard to think about what you leave out, though, when it comes to uh, to Castle, to Frank. There's a lot to delve into, and there's even more to delve into when it comes to uh, our wonderful letters, comments, and responses from our wonderful listeners. You write into us each and, uh, and 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 every week, and we really love it. Will, how can they get in touch? What can they do to send their thoughts to us? I forgot the email address. Um... Is it Marvel versus? <laughs> well, have a guess. Is it Marvel? It's Marvel versus Marvel. Oh my At- god! Oh my god! Right, no, right. You, you've lost all public trust now. No one's going to write this down from you because they don't believe you. I'll set I'm you the opposite up. of RoboCop. I if you'd not like to, the public, if trust. you'd like to get in touch, if you'd like to get in touch, you can send <laughs> your comments and emails. And there is a competent person manning the email account. Don't Ooh. worry. To Marvel versus Marvel at gmail Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. You can tweet us Marv, at Marvel versus, but of course that's a very short way of communicating. Um, and I see you've got some uh, some some letters for us. That's there, good. Will. I'm glad I have uh, some authority <laughs> after ruining the reading out of the email. Anyway, we got some good letters here. We got one from Donnie who got in touch to say that your series on Venom was awesome. It was so cool to see you spend two episodes doing a character properly and fully. I'd seen Spider-Man 3 and the Venom movie, and I've even read a few Venom comic books, but there was so much I didn't know. All the cool trivia about Peter Parker wearing a symbiote, Venom's massive tongue, carnage, eating brains. It was so good! I've never done it before, but next payday, I'm going to subscribe on Patreon so I can listen to the bonus episode hey. and see what the Secret Wars was all about. That is one of the best letters I've. Not only uh, are they are they uh, implying about giving us money, uh, they've also uh, 
they've they've also pretty much said the series. Because I, I remember uh, we were chatting about what we're going to do, how we're going to do the next episodes, and you said, "Okay, how about we do Venom, but cover it over a certain way?" And they've just said, "I love what you did there. That is so good to see an idea that we yeah. were toying around with uh, actually get this." this direct praise so i'm very that makes me very happy it thank you donnie it's kind of sometimes sometimes when you when you don't you when I mean, we hear lots from guys but sometimes it feels like we're kind of creating in a vacuum yeah especially when we're planning we don't know is this the right direction to go into are people gonna like that we spend like two episodes or three if you count the bonus on one character um so yeah it's really cool to get that coming back and we just felt uh, we felt we we what we didn't want to do is do Spider-Man three and then sometime next year do Venom and retrace our steps. Yeah, yeah. Spider-Man three has got so much going on in on in it. If we did everything plus talk about Venom in Spider-Man three, it'd be a four or five hour long podcast. And then what will we do when we get to Venom the next year or two years later or or whenever? So yeah. Uh, who was that, Donny? Donny, yeah, that was Donny. Thank you very much, Donny. Um, thanks for sharing the love. And it's you know what? If you hear something you like from us, like reward us, let us know, send us a message, because then we'll do yeah. more of it. That's, ha- that's how we know. That's how you steer this ship of great content. <laughs> good, good, good work. work. Yeah. Good work, Will. You almost did a metaphor. Okay. So the next letter, uh, Mickey Wilson writing. Right, I I've messed up. The, I I entered this uh, format. I messed up the name. It's not Mickey. It's Mikey. It's Mikey Wilson. Oh right, I can see how that goes both Sorry, ways. That... Yeah, yeah. It's me. My, no, no. It's, it's me. Mikey Wilson. My apologies, Mickey, Mikey as we're Wilson. now calling him. No, <laughs> Mikey Wilson. Uh, right. We also wrote to say thank you. Thank you for doing my all-time favourite comic book character. I was about 14 and The Punisher was released in a British uh, version of the comic. I remember that the cover was him in a prison uniform. The story about a guy who saw the horror of war, the horror that one man can inflict and have inflicted upon them, hooked me. Having a parent who served in the army and wasn't mentally prepared for the world outside of structured military life, it was a slight eye-opener. The notion of PTSD was unheard of in the 80s. The fact that Frank Castle is a normal guy is the big selling point for me, as he doesn't need a supersuit or a mask to get his point across. Fast forward a few years, and the Lundgren film came out. Now, while it's not a bad film, it's no Punisher. I still watch it from time to time. I like the idea that he had a warehouse with all his equipment in, which I am sure that Rutger Hauer's wanted dead or alive homages uh, the the stuff out of the S word out of. Sorry, I, I, I need to think of the kids, don't I? Uh, he is grounded in reality. As a parent, the idea that your family could get taken away in the blink of an eye is a horrific one. The 2004 film is a very good stab at it. They change a lot of the origins of Frank, but it's a good film. The most memorable scene is the fight between Frank and Kevin Nash, all while the guy next door is cooking dinner. I know that a lot of the film is based on the storyline Welcome Back Frank series. Thomas Jane did look a lot like the Punisher, but for me, Ray Winston had the look and the imposing stance of the Punisher. As always... Ray Winston. Is it Ray something? Because I looked at this letter and went, that's not... 
He doesn't mean he mean he mean he must mean Ray, Ray Stevenson. Stevenson, the guy from Warzone. He can't mean Ray Winston, the guy that advertises betting shops. Boy, you would better be punished. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. Presumably Mikey means Ray, Ray Stevenson. Stevenson. As always, <laughs> we yeah. hope. He said, as always, thanks for, good, for the work you put in. Thank you so much, Mikey. <laughs> i tell you what, I, oh, I, I, that's, uh, that's... I am no longer upset we got his name wrong because he got Ray Stevenson's name wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're hearing all sorts of talk about bonus episodes and the fact we're going to be featuring, you know, Punisher in... in, in, uh, in Larger, more, more. It's a dark. It's a dark little trip mm, to take. Indeed, it's a dark little trip to take. Uh, for for our December bonus episode, it will be we'll be tackling Punisher Max. Um, you 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 can do that. You can join us if you don't already. Uh, by by heading over to patreon.com p a t r e o n dot com slash Marvel versus Marvel. It's not just where bonus episodes live, is it, Will? Although there are eight of them right now. There are, there are eight. Of- it's where you, f- it's where you find yeah. out new, new, new announcements, new information. But more importantly, mm-hmm. it's where you get clean. It is where you get clean. It's where you get clean, because right now, listening to this, you're dirty. You're <laughs> sinning. You're a dirty, dirty sinner. It's fine. Most podcasts, 20 minutes of nonsense, you know, two blokes talking about nothing, right? What do we see in the paper? You're doing them a favour by listening. They owe you if you tune into their podcast. But this, the sweat on my brow right now, the hours we put into this, you owe us and you know you owe us. You might walk around talking about how great it is that all media is free these days and you don't have to pay for great content, but you know it's wrong. You know it's a crime. You know it's a sin. You know you need to do the right thing. And you can do the right thing at patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. Cody has been doing the right thing for a while now. He gets priority when uh, when it comes to getting in touch with us and sharing his thoughts. Cody writes in to say, "Hey guys, the Venom Odyssey. Look at that, Ooh, right? That's our buzzword. The Venom Odyssey was awesome. Being able to tie all those together and cover so much stuff was cool. I remember." reading Secret Wars when I was younger, but honestly, I forgot all of the crazy stuff that happened along the way. You mentioned doing a mini-episode of all the people that have held the symbiote, the Venom symbiote. I think that would be a fun episode to do. Yeah, we might. Do, we haven't done a mini-episode in a while. Yeah. A little a little extra bonus for all the £3 uh, and, and £3, £5 subs. So we might do that if we get time, although we're fully stocked December. To preface this message, I don't know a ton about the Punisher. I don't really know where I first heard of the character. Maybe it was a video game. That seems to ring a bell. I knew about this movie, but never watched it until now. That's another thing we're seeing as well, Will. Mm. People who, some of these films, they haven't ever seen before. To get ready for this episode, they're watching it. They're watching it. We should get a cut of that from... uh, you know, Netflix or, or Disney Plus or now I'll, TV, whoever I'll, it is. I'll, I'll get them we on the blower. We should get a cut of that cheddar. Oh. 
my first real introduction to the character was Daredevil Season 2. And I feel like John Bethnal killed him in that role. His portrayal of the character was just so cool to me. I haven't gotten around to watching his Netflix show. I wouldn't really say I'm a Punisher fan because I go back and forth on the whole anti-hero concept. Sometimes I like it, but sometimes I don't. In regards to this movie, I thought it was an okay movie on its own, but as a portrayal of the character, it seemed a little off. His neighbours as a supporting cast was odd to me at first, but I ended up liking it within the confines of the film. He toyed with the Saint family to make them suffer like he suffered, which I think works within the movie as well. Both of those things don't really seem like something the Punisher would do. And the Netflix version being the only thing I really know about the character could be the reason why. I think that's a really Mm. good point. This could be a... A seismic change for people, a real gear shift if you're coming from the Netflix Punisher. Um it is it is worth us really bearing that in mind when we when we think about how this plays to a modern audience. Um PS congrats on reaching ten thousand downloads. Here's to many more. Thank you, Cody. Oh, thank you so uh, he's much. He's a uh, he's a he's a real he's a real one. He knows what it's all about. He's a VIEP, a very important executive producer. <laughs> that means he contributes to this show not just to do the right thing and not just to get clean, which you know you should do, but he's helping keep us on the air. And someone else who's done that down since day one, Peter J, our very first subscriber on Patreon. Ooh. This guy. This guy upped his pledge as well. Upped his pledge. As soon as a chance was there, he upped it to become a VIP. Turns out you could do the right thing and then do the even righter thing. The, the super, super right, right thing. Wait. That sounds like uh, Donald Trump's support. <laughs> Members of the super right. Sorry, sorry. I, I, I apologise. Not me <laughs> politics. Know, I, I, I apologise for that. <laughs> it was more that it was just a, a joke. It's less an, an opinion... <laughs> And it's more just that the, the, the know, joke know, is there. Uh, so Peter J. Down since day one writes in to say, first of all, let I don't remember doing this. Let's just have a nod towards Rob summing up the Punisher in a previous episode with his sentence. Frank always kills the guy. I I don't remember saying that, <laughs> but 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 that is my sentiment on the Punisher. Yeah. Uh, Pete says this to me is the basic building block of the character. You're on his list, then there is pretty much only one way to get off it. Oh, like Father Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Like a violent Father Mm. Christmas. Does the character grow and change and morph? Yeah, and and, and apparently, Pete, he also gets supernatural guns from heaven. Yeah, sure. But this still stays key to me. Maybe add that no innocent should be caught in the punishing and we are good to go. When I first watched this film it became apparent uh, that it was at least going to attempt to be an old-school, gritty revenge movie. And I was more than happy. Is that how it felt to it, you? I, well, I, I, You've talked about the, the liking the feel of it being low-budget This is the stuff. thing. I, I don't know who did it. Someone did a Grindhouse trailer of the 2004 film, and I was under the... Because uh, I saw that, and it wasn't an official trailer. I was under the impression that that was the feel they were going for. Right, right. 
No. I don't think so. I think they just didn't have any no, money. No, it would have been great if they did that. I think that would have been great if they did an homage to Grindhouse. This is pre-qu- essentially a student project. Oh, no. <laughs> Peter J says, I watched it for the first time a couple of years after it came out. Um, it came out at the same time as Spider-Man 2. That's something we should have thought of. This movie comes out the same time as Spider-Man 2. That's that's light and dark right yeah. there, isn't it? Um, so I spent a lot of time re-watching that. It is the best superhero movie after all. And I think I'd seen a lot of action movies where the hero was a powerhouse of ninja moves, explosions, and witty one-liners. That didn't really say Frank Castle to me. A lonely, gritty, moody, dark, revenge-filled, never-ending war. That's what I wanted. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's nailed it there. Does this film reach these old-school revenge movie standards? No, but it isn't a stunt <laughs> catalogue held together with one-liners and flashy explosions. Is it devoid of humour? No, it's just kind of dark when it comes in. The film is all sorts of dark. To me, this whole bunch of darkness held together with good comic book vibes and some good actors. I like Will Patton and Travolta as the bad guys. Pretty much the rest of the cast do their thing well. As an anti-hero, Frank Castle is probably my favourite. I like the idea that he has this code as laid out at the end of the movie and the beginning of Punisher War Journal. And he pops up all over the place, teaming up with heroes who really don't like the way he does things and want to see him arrested, but somehow they always need him anyway. One of my favourite times is his team-up with Doctor Strange. (laughs) Uh, Just the idea of them as a team makes me smile. I'm pretty sure Power Pack make an appearance at some point, but I have no recollection as to why. Pete, you're absolutely right. He does team-up with Power Pack. Uh, Will? Never heard of Power I've Pack. I've never heard of Power Pack. Very I thought obvious. that was an accessory for the N64. Wah, wah. Power Pack was this weird comic book in the 80s about like, like, a, like a bunch of children, literal children, who get superpower, alien superpowers, and they have to hide it from mom and dad and sneak out at bedtime to go be superheroes. And there's an alien horse that can talk <laughs> and drives a spaceship. Super weird. Um, he has no powers except his training and weapons and his willingness to just do anything to get the job done. He has nothing except his war on crime. And that is just never-ending. I think this film makes a good attempt at being a Punisher movie. It's not perfect. It has its faults. Like, really, when he kills the big boss and the whole thing is over, revenge is done. Finished. And there being no police presence, no investigation into all the things that are happening. (laughs) Maybe the bits that let it down are due to the tiny budget it had. Well done, Pete. Who knows? I'm going to find time to sit down and watch it again. As I try to remember, all of this has made me realise how much I like it. Although, after all these years, will it be the same? Mm. Anyway, as ever, Frank kills the (laughs) guy. Frank always kills the guy. Always. Thank you, Peter J, for that. Um, the best way to get in touch with us is patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. What lies before us today is the 2004 Punisher movie. We think I've done an able job, Will, I think, of, of setting the table 
and really going into the the history, the deep dive on the history of the character, and we've also taken a look at the, all the behind the scenes of the production. The last thing for us to do is to ask you to do what only you can, Will, to press play and to lead us through that film. Okay, pressing play now. One night in Tampa, Florida, Mickey leads the young Bobby Saint to an arms deal. The deal is brokered by a man named Otto Krieg, who speaks with an accent due to his knowledge of six languages. The exchange goes bad when the FBI suddenly burst into the scene and, agitated, Otto pulls out a gun. The police fire back, shooting Otto, and one of the arms dealers shoots Bobby Saint dead in the crossfire. Mickey is the only survivor, becoming terrified when he sees Bobby's, bo- Bobby- Bobby's body. Sorry, I ru- ruined that last <laughs> bit then, and I'm not doing a retake. So, the opening titles of this film felt like uh, a 70s revenge slash western. Did you get that, that vibe from them? That's how I got. A little bit, yeah. Not not hugely. Not hugely. I, I, it does feel like a 90s cop movie, doesn't it, at first? It does feel like the meeting, meeting at the docks, they're wearing suits... You know, have you bought the money? Yeah. One one thing that I thought is really just bad, bad cop etiquette, bad like no 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 safety procedures going on here, right? Otto is the is the undercover yeah. cop. He pulls his gun first before anyone else, and I understand the reason he needs to fake his own death, but by him pulling his gun it sets off this gunfight <laughs> because they shoot him which is what they're meant to do to fake his death but then the other bad guys legitimately start shooting at cops it was gun entrapment like, <laughs> yeah if if he hadn't pulled his gun first and started like the shootout then perhaps the bad guys would have said it's a fair cop i shan't hurt nobody I shall leave my gun where it is. <laughs> Take me to prison, and Bobby Saint wouldn't be dead, and the rest of this whole movie wouldn't happen. You know who's responsible for his family's death? Yep. Frank Otto Castle. There we go. It almost makes you think that maybe if they had another $15 million, they could have righted this terrible wrong. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the... Well, we'll get to it when we talk about it, but it really... The the, the 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 murder of the castles should be a senseless crime. Yes, you've mentioned this before. Not not something brought on deliberately mm. by the actions of yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, I know. We'll get on to that. So back to the film. The bodies are taken away, but Otto Krieg sits up unharmed, saying that he hates the undercover job he's always on. Otto Krieg is really, is real to be Frank Castle an FBI agent who is just retiring. This case had been his last, and he was upset at the death of the young man. The police are ill at ease when they discover who the young man is. Robert Saint, son of crime lord Howard Saint. I have to say, uh, no offence to any fan uh, Howards out there, it's not a very evil name. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad you didn't want to offend them by telling them you don't think they're evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, it, it, but he's not exactly a. I don't think the characters will come to see. He's not really. He's portrayed as quite a, a pampered, sport. You know, quite an a, an effete 
kind using of words um, again. Crime Lord figure. He's defeat. not like a. He's he's not he's he, well pampered. Yeah. He's not exactly like a. Um, he's quite a well-to-do, moneyed, bad guy. He's not exactly a terrifying, sinister bad guy. Mm. He's yeah. I think he's quite a bit of a stock bad guy, but we'll we'll talk about that when we reach it. Uh, for now, though, let's talk about Frank Castle. Does he? Does Frank Castle work for the FBI doing undercover work? I thought he had high high training, and I didn't think the FBI had that high training. Ooh, FBI burn. Take oh, sorry, that, a federal Apolo- bureau of investigation. To people named Howard, people who work in the FBI, who may be listening to this podcast. How are you feeling now in Quantico? You ain't nothing. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. Uh, in, in, in the original stories, um, Frank's a Vietnam War veteran who is between tours of the Vietnam War. Mm. He's a, a decorated Marine. Um, um, various projects that have updated the timeline. We've talked about this before, the sliding timeline yeah. and things like that. You know, originally a character created in the 70s, tying him to the Vietnam War makes sense. Uh, but, but you know, by the time you get to the 90s, you're getting a bit long in the tooth. By the time you get to the 2000s and all of that. So various projects have tried to update the timeline so as not to make Frank so old. And there have been a few pushes to make him a, a police officer instead of instead of an, a, an army veteran, and I think that's that should always be resisted. That's just plainly and inherently wrong. It's a completely different idea, mm. a completely different storytelling. Yeah. It creates a completely different character. the The ultimate Marvel universe, which is kind of like a a different universe to the regular Marvel universe, where everyone's a bit younger and hipper. They're all dead now, anyway. <laughs> but the ultimate version of Punisher, he was yeah. a cop. Um, and I just didn't feel that 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 worked and sunk in. There's 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 no that's interesting. There's no war connection in this movie at all. Yeah, that Frank's got no connection to military. That's what confused me a bit because um, I I was I, I I was brought up brought up brought up to believe that he he were he had like Navy SEALs training or something like that. Right, right now inaccuracy. Mm. You said earlier you had no previous knowledge of this yeah, character. Yeah, previous, previous knowledge so of the where film does coming that out come from? Because I watched the Netflix show. So, but you just said when I was growing up. No, I, I used the phrase. <laughs> I, if you, if if you, I can't play an instant replay. I said I was brought up to believe. I use it humorously. Means something I learnt last year. Well, you've you've talked to me. It does feel like I was born yesterday. <laughs> I use I use the phrase, and then you heard me say, "Okay, okay. Uh, listeners at home are going, <clears throat> Rob Will's right. He was using the phrase in jest." No, no one, no one is thinking that. Get in touch right now. Let us know who's, who's right. right. Everything's competition, isn't it, so, Rob? Everything's bloody comp- just like the quiz. <laughs> no, it's not a competition. It's just that I I am right. Uh, so. You said, <laughs> you said uh, earlier on that the the original script mm. couldn't be filmed because of those budget issues, mm. and I'm led to believe that apparently that script did feature an opening Gulf War scene ah. that would have given Frank some marine background and experience. That, that yeah. would that would have been good. Then, the thing is, though, do you think? I don't want to labour too much on the point. Could he could he be a policeman with Vietnam War experience? Because you know how many Marines come back and end up joining the force. Yeah, who knows? I, I Maybe think they could tie it together. It, it, you don't. Yeah. 
Yeah, it would seem like quite a long start to the movie, but no, I meant um, when they update him in the comics because they because you said like in Ultimate Marvel they did him as a policeman. No, he 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 cannot he cannot just be a, a police policeman. Officer. Not not he cannot be a policeman. No, he, it's it's just you're you're telling a different story of a policeman that goes bad. It's, right, it's completely I, I different. Get you now I get yeah. Mm. So back to the film. When the news reaches the Saint family. The second son, Johnny, orders Mickey to be bailed out. Mickey is taken by the Saints to a club and beaten. He explains to Quentin Glass that Robert Bobby Saint came of his free will and that Otto Krieg, the man responsible for the deal, is dead. Howard is still unsatisfied and kills another man who is supposed to be responsible for his son in front of Mickey. Enraged about the death of his son. That's that's the classic... um... Let 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 the audience know this guy is a bad guy by having him kill a henchman unnecessarily. <laughs> yeah, that is such a an action movie. It trope. reminds me of that bit in The Sopranos where he beats that guy up for no reason, other than to show him he's not weak. But that <laughs> that has a you, that has a point. <laughs> yeah, that was there was a point to doing that. This is just for the uh, audience. Okay, okay, okay. Apparently, um, yeah. Okay, I, 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 I did a stupid reference. <laughs> Enraged about the death of his son, Saint orders his men to learn everything they can about Otto Krieg, discovering that Krieg is really an undercover cop. Saint bribes corrupt federal law enforcement officers to learn everything he can about Frank Castle. Saint orders Castle's e- execution at a family reunion, but Saint's wife Livia demands that Castle's entire family be killed as well. That that's another that's another that is is that is that a similar trait because that is just over the top, isn't it? Yeah, I've not come across that that before. Yeah, it's um it was to make us hate her enough for the end to like because if you don't make us mm. hate her, then what what Frank does is horrific. <laughs> If she's an innocent in all of this, yeah. very, very, then she's a, a victim. Very so you, she's she's got to be an active participant in yep, what's indeed. to come. It, it, it's just like it's a very scorched earth uh, policy they're doing there. Just messy, mm. horrible. Anyway, meanwhile, Frank returns to his family, his wife Maria and young son. Frank knows he has been neglecting them and forcing them to move constantly. But he promises London would be the last place to move to. Before that, though, they will go to a family reunion in Puerto Rico. So is there anything you can tell us about Frank as a family man, considering (laughs) lack of family is his most defining feature? Yeah, that is. I mean, in in the regular Marvel universe, the 616, that that is pretty much it. There's there's, Frank's family exists in the past tense. They, They... they serve as his motivation and his, and his his driving force. We don't really see. There's not even a lot of fond memories being replayed to 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 comfort him. It's all the bad. It's all the the actual murder. But there is a a deeply deeply interesting take on Frank's home life that comes from um, the the sequel to Garth Ennis's Punisher Max series, um, which is rather confusingly called Punisher Max, all one word. Punisher Max, Punisher Max, not Punisher Max. Punisher Go on, Max. Max, Punisher. Um, that, Sorry, that series is by Jason Aaron, and it's really mm. great. 
Um, it's a different, you know, different universe to the regular Marvel universe, and that features an assassin called Bullseye hunting Frank over a long period of time and trying to psychologically understand him so that he can psychologically pull him apart. And what we see in that story is that Frank's home life when he gets back from the Vietnam War Mm. is utterly cold. The opposite of idyllic. Mm. He and Maria married too young. And this twisted, broken man who returns from the war is not the same sweet, kind kid she fell in love with. He's a stranger to his wife. He's a stranger to his oh. kids. And and it paints this picture that's just not picturesque whatsoever. And Bullseye learns Frank's deepest, darkest secret and tells him that he knows it and uses it to break Frank's heart all over again. It's that Frank, on that day, that day when they get killed, on that picnic, Frank had just told his wife that he was volunteering to go back to Vietnam for another tour during the war. And in fact, the very last thing Frank says to his wife before she's shot and killed was, I don't love you anymore. Oh, no. No. Jason Jason Aaron is a great writer. That puts... A completely different spin on why he's so haunted. Imagine if that... This is not regular Marvel Universe, this is different, but that is right after he says those words. Bang, she's dead. His kids are dead. His life... But he did he want this to happen? He wanted to go back to war, and now he... It, man, it's great. It's That's great. very, very good. It reminds... It almost... Echoes of it remind me what happened in the TV series I watched recently called The Leftovers, where they explore what happened just before the event, the changing event, and it shows you, oh, things weren't great back then. And something similar yeah. like this happens that makes you go, oh, my God. I, I think it's a really good example of um, really changing someone's backstory without changing the action. Yes. When some when we'll talk about oh you need we need to do diff- a fresh spin on the Punisher and it's all like well what if he <laughs> what if he was in the future or what if instead of or like we get here what if instead of them killing his uh, wife and kids they kill um sixty people that he knows you said I sorry I, I, I when, when we first uh, first started talking because you were helping me write uh, do my first uh, show basically. Uh, do my, and I and I did a joke about the punish comedy, comedy show for Edinburgh the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Uh, I was I did a joke about the Punisher, and you were telling me the same thing. It was like you, it feels like this, and you're telling me like it feels like a producer said that. In the, I always remember that because I found that hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll speak about it pretty soon, won't we? It's bonkers. Yeah, abs- abs- absolutely bonkers. Um, what else was I going? What else was I going to say? Uh, oh yeah. Does uh, Frank's family follow the same rule as Uncle Ben in which they cannot be brought back to life? We'll talk about oh, that. Let's, let's good. I, I want to make sure we have that base covered because it came into my mind. I was like, oh, come on, wait a sec. So yeah, back to the yeah. film. We'll talk about that later. Howard Saint goes to confirm his son's body. And when the police proved unwilling to share information with him, he orders his own men to find out everything about Otto Krieg. 
At the funeral of his son, Quentin informs Howard that Otto Krieg was an undercover agent, that his real name is Frank Castle. Howard gives orders to have Castle killed, but his wife Livia adds that the whole family must also die. Howard agrees while Johnny decides to go to Puerto Rico with the other assassins. That's it is brutal. brutal. It's overkill. It's 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 like it, it's like uh, they're doing a sequel to John Wick, and they're going, "Hey, how about instead of killing his dog, we kill his cat as well?" <laughs> it, it, it is uh, necessary, it's, it's though, ne- isn't it? It's kind of necessary. It, if you think about what Frank does to her later mm. on, if she isn't an active participant in this horrible murder then she is the victim of a terrible crime that he commits. It, it, so we have to yeah, hate her. Yeah, she, 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 she ramp, ramps it up. I'm just wondering if it was ramped up too much. But, you know, you know you, you're right. Also, um, I have to say, when Travolta goes in to see... I'm going to call him Travolta. I'm not going to call him Howard. When Travolta goes to see his son's body, and all I can think now is South Park with his impressions of him going, Oh, jeez, oh my God, oh my God. you never seen that? South Park, whenever John Travolta's on it, no, he's like, no. oh, oh my god, oh my god, and I don't know what the reference is. Uh, John Travolta uh, has these massive vibes of Vito Corleone in The Godfather, and I know that was totally meant to be. You can <laughs> tell that. Yeah, he's probably pulling it, from the, that. The vibes he? there, he's all he needs to. I, I, I don't even if he even even went, my boy, they must the good, my boy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that bit so much but in The Godfather and this it was like there were vibes of it also um, I don't know if you spotted this but Tom Jane Thomas Jane he looks like a young Christopher Lambert doesn't he you really shortened isn't that you got quite familiar with Tom, him there didn't Tommy you Jane. Tom Tommy Jane Tommy Jane T-Bone Jane <laughs> I I'm gl- I'm so glad that you've said that because I've been trying to put my finger on it yeah. for for ages, and now I'm going. Yes, he looks like Christopher Lambert. That's exactly who he looks he, like. It is. He looks like well, or Christopher Lambert, if you're. Uh... Indeed, indeed. indeed. Uh, it, it... it amazes me that there can actually be two of them that look like that, <laughs> because I'd assume that realistically. There could be only oh, one. Oh, there we but, go. Hey. There we go. There was, a, there was a joke you were sitting on just then going, I need to use this now, otherwise I'm going to be angry. Um, the only other thing I've seen Thomas Jane in is uh, uh, when he pretty much played himself in Arrested Development. When he was the homeless... Uh, he, 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 they thought he was a homeless guy, but it turned out he was an actor researching oh, the homeless yeah. guy. It's actually Thomas Jane. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was yeah. a while back. Anyway, back to the film. The assassins arrive just in time for another family outdoor beach party, and they begin opening fire on everyone. Frank and his father hear the gunshots and begin returning fire. Through the through they've though they fire back, the assassins completely slaughter the family, including Frank's father. During the gunfight, Maria grabs her son and manages to escape in a nearby car. They race away from the bloodbath, but the assassins chase them down. Maria heads for the docks, hoping to escape on one of the boats. But as Maria and her son cross the jetty, the Saints hitmen brutally run them over with their truck, killing them. 
So this is a very brutal end for Maria. I mean, she was pretty bad as trying to save her son. Is there anything else about her in the comic books at all? No. <laughs> Not really, no. You, you, you only ever see her in mm. flashback. And it's only really ever the day that she dies. It's very Death Wish revenge porn. Yeah. She only exists to die and give the male character a reason to go and be violent. She might be the original woman in a refrigerator um, in in Marvel Comics. Yeah, um, wasn't that wasn't that the three archetypes? That uh, women are either what was it? What, the, the, the film noir archetype of, of a woman or something. I, I don't know if we've mentioned it before. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets it gets it gets even worse in comic books because they are so so hugely dominated by male writers um and the the, the term uh, woman in refrigerator re- re- refers to this this uh <laughs> this this green lantern storyline mm. where there's a new green lantern he has a girlfriend and one day he comes home and his girlfriend has been murdered and stuffed in a refrigerator oh. and it was you know it's used to motivate him and that's kind of it. That's all she exists for. And it became quite a derisive way of referring to kind of lazy storytelling. Mm. Um, now, to your point about them coming back, the only other appearance that does stand out for me is the time that a supernatural crime lord called The Hood um, used a a demonic soul sacrifice to resurrect Maria and her kids to try and use them as leverage against Frank. Um, How how, how do you think that went? I don't know. In Frank's favour? No. (laughs) Frank takes one look at his resurrected wife and kids, knows that it's real, says they belong to the (sighs) dead... And burns burns his family alive with a flamethrower until they go back to being dead. That's horrible. Can't have any leverage over me if the things I love are dead. Yep. Ah, there you go. That is horrible. Frank is an intense. <laughs> That sounds like 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 a side character after that scene commenting, "Yep, that Frank, he's a bit intense." <laughs> <laughs> so back to the film. Frank survives an intense knife fight and races after his wife, but arrives too late and only sees their bodies. The assassins return, and Johnny Saint beats and shoots Frank, telling him, "My father and mother send their regards." Quentin then tortures the place, and they leave Frank for dead not knowing that the explosion actually blasted Frank into the water. They return to the Saints and Sinners Club, where they toast to a score settled, and Howard gives Livia a pair of diamond earrings to celebrate. So a few things to look back on. Roy Schneider as his father. That interesting bit of casting. I could have saved this movie some money. Yeah, like... <laughs> if you complain about only having 15 mil left over from paying yeah. people, don't hire Roy Schneider... For one scene, I, that felt odd because I haven't seen Roy Schneider in. I haven't seen him since uh, French Connection. I, I I don't see him in things. Uh, DS DSV, that's just letters, mate. The seminal aqua-based action adventure series that followed Baywatch on ITV in the nineties. 
DSV, <laughs> Deep Sea V something. Ah, <laughs> oh, it was great. It was about like a space station, but underwater. Okay. And they all, they all, you know, had action and adventure. One of them was friends with a dolphin. It was great. It was really great. And Roy Schneider's there, so the whole time you're thinking, I bet he ate sharks. Yeah, I was about... And it comes up occasionally as a bit of a joke. Oh, yeah, I was about to say, that you can't have Roy Schneider in some kind of underwater affair and then go, hey, hey, we're going to need a, a much larger boat, aren't we? Hmm. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, also, something I noticed, uh, me being picky, uh, the music was too dramatic. I know his wife and kid got killed, but the music just felt too dramatic. Felt a bit. I I I. Well, I didn't notice. I, I mean, maybe they could have had less noticeable music for the death. Sometimes of a child. Sometimes, sometimes no music and just silence works in in certain ways. But I, I, I I'm not expecting a work of art house brilliance. I, <laughs> but that's me. Um, also. Uh, this is another weird thing I noticed. Sorry, I, I know it's me noticing things, which is, uh, you know, comedy. Uh, when Frank... Oh, here we when go. Frank... Sh- oh, strapping, guys. The, the Driving <laughs> a truck on a jetty would 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 overstabilise the tyres and... What is it? What is no, it? No, no, it's nothing. What, it's, uh, what, not entering noticed? engineer mode. Um, when Frank mm-hmm. shoots a propane tank, the guy hiding behind it... It's clearly wearing a rubber mask, and I don't know why. <laughs> How do you mean? Like a, like a black mask? No, 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 like, 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 like a latex mask of someone else. Over his Yeah, own I face. looked at it, and I had to rewind it and go, he's wearing a rubber mask. <laughs> That's very peculiar. But, but uh, as the setup goes, I have to say, the only, t- the only, the only film I can bring this um, uh, in similarity to is Mad Max. Especially with the wife and child being run over, it, it just feels like Mad Max. <coughs> Is that a sneeze or a cough? He asked. <coughs> I shouldn't ask you questions. while you're right, mate. <coughs> yeah, sorry. <coughs> <coughs> sorry. Oh God, I went down. Oh, the yes, this is like Mad Max. <laughs> I'm trying to work out now whether we leave all that in or is there a way of editing any of that out we just plow on I think come on if you think we should have edited that <coughs> out please email us <laughs> please email us <coughs> you're going to be okay oh god yes it's just a little bit of water and it just went the wrong direction I, I know it's, it's incredible <coughs> water c- kill you as well as giving you life oh god so we reached the big question now I hope you're ready to do a lot of talking. Um, you're ready. ready. <clears throat> Is this how Frank's family die in the comic books? No, this is insane. <laughs> this is insane. Yeah. <clears throat> Frank's family, like, on top of all of this, they've taken away one of his kids as well. Yeah. Bizarrely. <clears throat> Frank's family is his wife, his little girl, and his little boy. Um... What's his name? Watsy Hensley, the director, has actually said in interviews and stuff, he wanted to ramp up the death scene (laughs) to try and make it even worse. Even worse, even worse than the death of your wife and your two tiny children. 
So <laughs> that's why we get this absolutely ludicrous family reunion in Puerto Rico for no reason, where an entire team of hitmen storm the castle and wipe out like five generations of his family. Um, cousins and third cousins and great aunts and because that makes it worse, right? Killing even more people we've got no emotional investment in. I don't know how you could make it Um, worse without making it... How do you make it worse without making it worse, if you know what I mean? You don't... uh, You're starting in the wrong position. (laughs) That is a... That is a question that the the filmmakers don't need to be asking. <laughs> How do we make it worse? Yeah. It, why why is why does the next Batman film not start with his whole family, like like sixteen members of his family coming out of a birthday party, and one mugger <laughs> just spends about ten minutes shooting one them all, mugger with one a after lot the other, of, a lot of extra rounds right. in his pockets. He used to reload halfway through, <laughs> and poor Bruce, he, he, he has to go no for every one. Ah, your uncle's and he's dead. Like, ah, ah, now you're dead. I only dead. wanted the watch and the wallet, <laughs> but I'm settling for mass murder. It's just stupid, utterly stupid. Um, in in the comics, um, Frank is on leave or in between tours or something like that, and and they go on a family picnic here with his wife and his two children. And they accidentally stumble across a mob hit. Mm. Uh, the gunmen realise they can't have any witnesses, so they 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 feel forced to gun the family down. And uh, Frank is the only one that manages to survive. Very very hot, ludicrous. It is, it is ludicrous. So back to the film. Candelaria, one of Castle's family friends, rescues Frank, and after he recovers, takes him back to the castle house. Frank picks up the guns his father had been showing him, as well as the t-shirt with a skull that his son had given him. Filled with anger, he is determined to have revenge and returns to America. He moves to a poor, run-down neighbourhood where he starts modifying guns, the apartment he lives in, and his car. Frank's actions catch the interest of his friends the opera... Sorry, the the interest of the neighbours. The opera-loving fat Bumbo the piercing-covered Skinny Dave, and the tired but lovely <coughs> Joan. So, I, I, I know we've been sort of like talking about the fact this guy's first film directing... Was it was his name again? I can't remember his name. Hensley. 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 He sounds like a butler. Hensley, fetch me the paper. <laughs> but I have to say, someone's, I wasn't expecting a lot of good dialogue in this, but there were some choice bits where I went, oh, that's quite good. There's like... Was it? He says, "Frank, God be with you." And he just goes, "God's gonna sit this one out." And it's like, I haven't heard a line like that in years. That is so good. Well, he comes from a, a lineage of writing, you know, things like Con Air and yeah. Armageddon, which are chock full of slightly questionable lines like that. I, I, I they questionable, but they're the kind of lines that don't exist anywhere except an action film. And you go, it's like, like you ever seen the film Machete? Machete, of course, yeah. I, I, one of my favourite lines is, I mean, there's so many stupid lines in it, but what was it? Was, uh, was it Cheech Marin going, God, for, what was it? God forgives, I don't, and then shoots him because he's playing the priest. 
Yeah, but that's a pastiche of of, of action movies. This is an action movie. <sighs> you can't take lines from Airplane and put them into you know an actual disaster movie. I guess that's <laughs> what what it is. Is um, they they have become the point of the pastiche, but I kind of miss them. I kind of. I, they, they are lines that are written, and and they can go one of two yeah. ways. If there, if there is, if the if the movie is good enough and intense enough, and the delivery of the actor is intense enough, and if you feel it and believe it, you can go. That's badass. If any of those points on the diagram are off, then you go. Eh, okay. Some, okay. Sometimes it a little bit off, and I just find it funny because it's all there's almost like a level of ah. Uh, it's not. It's not. To, it's not meant as a homage or a pastiche, but I appreciate it. It's like an, it's like appreciating something ironically. Right, yeah, that's how I do it. Also, um, yeah. how come it, th- th- there's a group of outcasts from society, and it's two nerdy guys, and then the woman is very normal. She's quite a, you know a, a normal, attractive woman, and, and like, oh, I'm an outcast as well. It's like they, they always do. Oh yeah, it's it's it was a this is the. I forgot. This is the pilot for Big Bang Theory. This is the early pilot <laughs> for the Big Bang Theory. Has the two geeks and the hot neighbor and the Punisher. He's just there, <laughs> guest starring Thomas yeah. Jane as the Punisher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how it works. Yeah. Oh god, oh dear. So the, these are pretty weird neighbors. <clears throat> I, I take it. I take it. There's something from the comic books. Are they from the comic books? Yeah, yeah. I thought so. Yeah, part 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 of this movie, um, parts of this movie are based on Garth Ennis's story and Steve Dillon's story that returns Frank to the Marvel universe. Welcome home, Frank, which is the first five six issue um, limited series mm-hmm. they do. It's a it's a a a back to basics Punisher. No more supernatural stuff, but also no more budget, no more resources, no more contacts high-tech stuff, all that burned away while he was dead. So Frank's back in New York, but but he has to wage his war living in a run-down dump of an apartment. And, yeah, he has these these neighbours, these idiosyncratic neighbours. Mr. Blumpo. Dave has a name they use repeatedly in this movie, and I've edited out of this. I'm not going to say his nickname. It is a really gross playground insult about disabled oh. people, which Garth Ennis thinks is hilarious, oh, dear, and I think would. is gross. Um, and I'm amazed. I, I think the only reason it made it into this film is because Americans don't know what it means, because it's a British-slash-Irish playground insult. Um, and so it just slipped under the Google radar. This. And, and Joan the Mouse... Who uh, you pointed out in the movie? She's like she's like the hot love interest, basically. Um, <laughs> but in the comic books, Joan the Mouse is, you know, literally she's it's you know he's not writing very eloquently here. She's meant to be mousy. She's very quiet, like she's very antisocial. Um, she's almost agoraphobic, mm. really, and. She, um, her speech is so in comic books you can show someone speaks very very quietly by giving them a very small speech balloon and yeah, literally write their words very very small so it's hard to read and that's how Joan speaks in the comics so that she's a mousy yeah. quiet and you wouldn't be able to hear what she's saying 
Um, so she's much more of an outcast in the yeah that, that would make more book. sense. Um, and yeah, they're all pretty me- messed up, and, and a, a small bond forms with Frank while he's while he's living there. I just looked up Dave's nickname. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> I haven't heard that since the nineties. Uh, yeah, yeah. So back to the film. Frank kidnaps Mickey and threatens to burn him if he does not tell him about the saints. Mickey first refuses, so Frank fakes the torture using an ice pop, and Mickey starts screaming, which badly frightens Frank's neighbours. Mickey eventually <coughs> gives in, telling him that Howard Saint relies on two Cuban brothers who control all gambling and prostitution up and down the Gulf Coast. They give the money to Howard, who transports it to his banks in Grand Canyon and washes it. Frank realizes, uh, sorry, Frank releases Mickey, who discovers he was never really hurt and freely talks about the saints, who he claims he hates. With the information about the family schedule and their closest friend, Quentin Glass, Frank starts following them and taking photos. He learns about Howard's golf schedule, Livia's movie night, and Quentin's secret homosexual affair. Afterwards, he drags his own gravestone out of the graveyard and plants it in Howard's golfing spot with the date of death removed. That gravestone bit was very over the top. If you know where he golfs, why don't you kill him? (laughs) If you know where he golfs, why don't you kill him? You have guns. You are a sniper. <laughs> if you know where he goes, why don't you kill him? That is, yeah, that is a weird thing to, to do. It's, it, it does, it does feel like what's the what's the narrative term for it? Where something should be easier to do, so, something's within grasp, but they don't take it. Hmm. I'm not sure there is one, but, but it's yeah, a bit bad. It, it, it's. I didn't notice that before, but now I kind of notice it. Went oh. Because I always see this as, oh, it's not enough to just kill him. He wants to break him first or something. That is part of my problem with this film. That's not the Punisher. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't care about that. He wants to... Well, I don't know if the opportunity was there, but... mm, Maybe, maybe... This is not, uh, you know... The definitive Punisher gets worse later on. It gets worse later on where he's practically in their houses, (laughs) (laughs) like following them to lunch. And it's what are you doing? Um, Maybe maybe this is uh, this is is how it would. There would have been a lot more if they spent X more money on this film. But they went, ah, we don't have much, so we can have to drag out this plot. I believe. I I believe this. I believe they didn't have enough. I didn't have. They didn't have. Perhaps money for any more action scenes, so it had to be this stalking thing. Yeah, that would where make he slowly sense. does a thing. They've got the gunfight at the start, the gunfight at the end, and the big fight in the, the big like fist fight in the middle, and that's it, really. I will say though, the blowtorch scene or the ice pop scene did make me laugh out loud. I I <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. Just he's got the blowtorch and saying him when this touches you, it will burn your nerve endings or whatever and and you you'll, you'll just feel ice cold that's that means you basically your skin's d- and then you just then you see it's an ice pop and you just prodding him and the, it, it's a perfect comedy setup i thought i thought that was brilliant yeah it's, it's a nice little idea and of course when he comes down and, and realizes what happens what does he say to him? he goes you are not a nice man which i thought was a bit of a 
terrible line, but still quite funny. <laughs> yeah, I think they're trying to make that 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 uh, Mickey character funny, yeah. and I don't know if they hit the mark. They they didn't. They didn't really hit the mark. I I, I just like the fake torture. So about fake torture. And, and the fact that you are very adamant that this is not what the Punisher would do in terms of following him to a golf course. Would Frank ever fake torture someone in the comic books or, or would he just do it for real or would he just shoot them? <clears throat> well, he, he, there are multiple times when he needs to get information out yeah. of someone. So you can't just shoot everyone all the time. Uh, Mickey Ducker here is pretty much based on a comic book character, a snitch of Frank's called uh, Mickey Fondosi. Mm. Um Back in the 1992 Warzone series, Frank does this exact mock torture scene, uh, exactly yes. like this: the blowtorch, the burning meat, and the 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 the, the popsicle on the, on the skin. It it seems so out of place with Punisher from the year 2000 onwards. Post Garth Ennis, Frank is a different beast. Um. The idea that you'd have... So, Mickey snitched a lot for Frank in the 90s when Punisher was a bit less of a violent, raging mm. psychopath. And the idea that Frank would have like this continuous relationship with a figure of the underworld who was committing crimes jars a bit. Frank will let a snitch or a gun runner or something do a little bit for him, but he will always off them in mm. the end. Um, and so when... When Mickey Mickey Fondosi Mickey Ducker here starts reappearing post two thousand, I kept expecting Frank to kill him, um, but he is actually one of the very few characters in Punisher who genuinely goes straight, mm. finds religion, and Frank does leave him be. Um, but yes, I don't think post Ennis post two thousand Punisher would fake torture anyone. But it is directly a scene from Punisher Wars. Yeah. Yeah. So back to the film. Frank, meanwhile, confronts his former police colleagues in front of several reporters, asking why nobody was arrested for his family's death. Learning that the police were too afraid of taking the Saints head on, Frank takes matters into his own hands. He sneaks into the Saints bank building and orders the bankers by gunpoint to fill up a suitcase with money. The rest of it he throws out of the window which draws in a noisy crowd trying to catch the money. Frank confronts two of Howard's hitmen and kills them. He escapes easily into the crowd. When the news spread, Dave and Bumpo look up Frank's information and are instantly wary. Meanwhile, Howard is furious at the news and receives a warning by the Cuban brothers that if they lose more money, they were switching bankers. Back in Frank's apartment, a drunk man bangs on Joan's door, demanding to be let in. Bumpo and Dave are scared, but Frank scares him away, and the neighbours warm up to him. That was the bit with the knife, wasn't it? Was that the butterfly knife? Oh, yeah, we, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love that bit as well because he does the whole. Because I, I don't know how you do that with a butterfly knife. He does the whole fl- flick thing and then hits him with the hand and goes, <laughs> "Don't play with knives." I thought, ah, there's another pastiche right there, but it's quite funny. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, yeah. So now this is going to be an interesting one because I probably have a few things to say about this in terms of Punisher being a problematic character. But does Punisher ever try to work with the police? Sort of, but not really. really. Um, 
in in the Marvel Knights series, Ennis and Dylan introduce a classic Garth Ennis character, a weak, hapless cop called Detective Soap. Um, Detective Soap is one of Ennis's classic victim characters yeah. that he loves to have everyone in the comic bully and loves to have the whole world crap all mm. over them. Goth Ennis loves this in a character. He loves having a soft, weak, kind of slightly spineless, harmless character that gets bullied mercilessly yeah. and that has nothing but terrible, terrible, terrible look. There's something not right with Goth yeah. Ennis. <laughs> and he projects a lot of that onto the I was the about page. to say that when I was... So... I was about to say with Preacher, I think uh, the character Arseface, that that was that was an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are parts of that, but but Arseface at least has um, some heroic qualities mm. to him. Um, Soap has 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 none of that. It's a very it's something very two thousand AD that he's never left behind. <laughs> yeah, um, that sounds about right. Soap, Soap, Detective Soap is a laughing stock of the NYPD, so he's assigned to the Punisher Task Force, which has. Zero funding, and it's just him and one other cop that everyone hates. And they're a joke mm. because the NYPD doesn't want to catch the Punisher. They 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 seem to like rip this off in the Nolan Batman movies. There's one scene where Gordon asks how the Batman task force is going, and it's one cop in a corner room, corner office, like tiny part of the room just sort of throwing darts at a ball and he's like oh nothing yet <laughs> um, so the idea that the police force would actually embrace these kind of vigilantes mm. um, but have to have on the books oh no this is our task yeah, force yeah they have to officially them. say we've tried to apprehend a vigilante <clears throat> yeah Soap accidentally catches Punisher early on but Frank gives him a file of incriminating photos of the mayor and the police commissioner Mm. Um, so Soap doesn't arrest Frank and in turn uses the pictures to blackmail his way up the career ladder until he becomes commissioner of the NYPD and then Castle uses him as basically a snitch in the police force and the police commissioner is now terrified of Castle and feeding him Everything, whatever info he wants. That's to like know. A, a weird uh, Commissioner Gordon relationship, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, like yeah, it's done more out of yeah, fear than cooperation. <laughs> mm. Yeah, there's no mutual kind of respect or agreement yeah, going on. The, so, what did you yeah, want to the, say? The thing I, I I noticed a lot of the Punisher following. Um, there's a lot. Oh. I'm not sure we want yeah, to go into if, that. If, 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 if you don't think it's a good idea, I won't. But I just say there's a lot of weird... No. I will say Nazis are scum, uh, far-right are scum, uh, and everyone who's ever written The Punisher has spoken out against anyone from any... And not this is this is this is that um, that comments are conf- uh, restricted to you know awful Nazi people, far-right people. But on top of that, anyone that's ever written The Punisher has spoken out to say that nobody from the military mm. or from uh, law enforcement should be using that death's head yes. skull. And if they are, they fundamentally don't understand the character. That's not me talking. That's Jerry Conway. That's Garth Ennis. That's anyone that's ever really written that's a character. That's pretty much where I wanted to go with that, and I think you did it <clears throat> eloquently. Good. So back to the film. 
Setting his revenge in motion, Frank breaks into Livia's car and steals, sorry, and calls Quentin on her phone, threatening him to go to Winton Hotel to get some photos Mr. Saint would not like to see. Hmm. He parks Livia's car illegally near the same hotel and gets a ticket for it. Howard, looking for Quentin and failing, is told by Mickey that the man was at Winton Hotel. He later spots Livia and Quentin talking and laughing together and leaves slightly unnerved. I never... A car bomb. A car bomb. <laughs> Plant a car bomb. <laughs> yeah. To, For God's sake, to be, Frank. To be fair, how did he make it look like he's parking illegally? He carried a fire hydrant with him, didn't he? Or a fake fire hydrant. Oh, that's yeah, right. Because I, yeah. I, was, I, I wasn't getting it at first. I, I must not have been paying attention. And I was going, why is he carrying a fire hydrant? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and it's like making it look like it's parking. So it's... I bet you could get a car bomb cheaper than you could <laughs> get a fake fire I'll hydrant. I'll tell you one thing. I bet you car bombs are much lighter and easier to carry as well. Yeah. <laughs> so he sounds like, at the, at the moment, he sounds like he's not the punisher. He's the mildly annoyer. <laughs> yeah, I got you a parking ticket. Yeah. The harasser. And... And your your employer didn't know where you were. So, it's ridiculous. He's doing a lot of set-up and planning here. I mean, that is something he's known for, right, though? Yeah, but not like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, Frank, Frank Castle was a Marine Scout sniper. Yeah. Highly, highly trained in reconnaissance. These are the guys who had out on their own in war zones... And sit on a target for days on end, waiting for the perfect shot. Or they yep. create and set the perfect kill yep. zone to lure the target in and wait for days for the target to walk into. Yeah, shot. I have played Battlefield before, so, he, so he, yes, he, I totally agree. Well, so you, so you perfectly yeah. know. Then you're you're practically decorated yourself, <laughs> Frank. Frank Frank is shown to do this level of reconnaissance and preparation in the comic mm. books, and 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 it shows just how outclassed all these nickel and dime mobsters are by someone with discipline and a mission. I mean, think about our other favorite thing that we watch and talk about: the Sopranos, and 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 how the mafia are yep. shown to be essentially deeply lazy sociopaths yeah. who do what they do because they have an aversion to hard work to a real life so when they come up against someone like frank who is disciplined and has a mission who is an actual yeah. soldier not how what all they all call each other oh he's a soldier no he's not <laughs> <laughs> they, it, it, it really is it really is funny mm. and enjoyable how out outclassed all these all these um hoodlums are um, but Frank's end result is to get himself and his gun in front of the target. It's not stuff. It's not this Othello stuff. I've never heard of him, mm. you know, trying to do anything Shakespearean in the comic books. Yeah. So yeah. I yeah. That's. I I I'm just thinking now. Sorry, I, I'm stuck on Sopranos now and how how they're how they're lazy and it's like it is it is funny it is funny see, seeing that dedication mm. and motivation and just like eh, I'm in this position because I stabbed a guy in a bar 
when um ah oh, well, I, I I'm terrible with the names. The the, the, the uh, Sal when Salvatore uh when he gets outed by someone going to the gate that he's at, and he goes on. Veto, I was, sorry, Veto's himself, the exact Veto. example I was thinking of. Yeah. And he goes on the run, and he ends up being a handyman in a picturesque little village. He has the perfect <laughs> life. He he is finally free to be who he wants to be and out. And he has a, a really great boyfriend who loves him and trusts yeah. him. And he, he lives in this beautiful place, and there is no danger from yeah. the mob. And the only thing he can do is a handyman, and they have that beautiful, wonderful moment where he is trying to work an average day. And he can't yeah. do it. And he is so averse to hard work, he goes back into the mouth of absolute danger to try to go back to being a, oh. a wise guy. Oh, I love that episode so much. Oh, Because he can't put up a fence. <laughs> and he's doing that thing. So it- she catches him napping. He's looking at his watch and goes, okay, I'll, I'll look again. That'll be my treat. I'll look again. I know that feeling. I know that feeling. Yeah, so, oh, everyone. Everyone universal does. Feeling. Everyone does. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Back to the film. The next day, as Frank eats at the cafe Joan works at, a man comes in and starts playing a song for him. The man, Harry Heck, tells Frank the song will be played at his funeral. Taking the hint... Frank leaves the cafe and, after a car chase, manages to kill Harry. A little more than annoyed, he goes to the next shipment of cash Saints is holding. Johnny and several men are there to ensure security, and aboard the ship, Johnny finds a bomb with the sign, Front Towards Enemy. Johnny jumps off the boat just in time as it explodes, burning all the cash, and he sees Frank standing on a hill overlooking him. Now... Sniper rifle, you're standing on a hill with a clear line of sight. Why not plant many more bombs? Also, front towards enemy, that wasn't uh, a bomb. That was a claymore mine, the effect of which is like uh, a shotgun. I'd assume he had some incendiaries kind of uh, in place around He probably would. Yeah, come to think of it, he would uh, customise a claymore mine. <laughs> Fish, horrible things, they blow your legs off. The current WWE uh, champion, his finishing move is, a, is called the Claymore. <laughs> Just to let you know. Is it the Scottish Claymore or the Mine Claymore? That's the, that's the thing. It's the Scottish Claymore. Drew McIntyre. Ah, there we the, go. The first ever Scottish WWE champion. Ah, that's great to hear. Uh, unless you count Rod- <laughs> Rowdy Roddy Piper. <laughs> well, never champion and not not Scottish. But we'll I was move about on. to say, sorry. Anyway, <laughs> the, that guitar scene, bit odd. Felt, do you know what it felt like? It felt like a cutscene from a Japanese video game before a boss fight. That's so. That's so. You know accurate. what I mean? It's so yeah. odd. It, it it gives the impression this guy should be someone we yeah. care about, but we never see him before or ever again. He doesn't even really introduce himself. He's playing a guitar for some reason. Yeah. You know, this is the song. They will play at your funeral. Fight! It's so weird. It does. J- j- I don't think. Okay, you're not much of a gamer. I take it you never played Final Fantasy VII. Oh, I think I, I don't know if I played seven. I, I played a little bit. I played a little bits here and there. Of Final yeah, they're, Fantasy. they're pretty good. But seven, some would argue, is the best one. But they have that's that, the main that's the, one. That's isn't the main it? Yeah. one. But there's a there's a bit there's a few bits in there. Some of the characters sort of have their own theme, and one's like doom doom. 
that kind of thing and they come in and they threaten the character but some, then there's a fight that kicks off this is what it felt like but yeah anyway that's doubling down on my point also love the shutters I- on his car <laughs> the metal shutters on his car <laughs> yeah. were great it felt very Mad Max I have a feeling um I don't. I don't know. You've got a question to ask. It might. It might t- yeah, I have got another question on my list. <sighs> Harry Heck, is he someone we should know from the comic books? I, I, I guess, yeah, because he's from this Garth Ennis period, mm. and this might. There might. There might be two other lost scenes that would have made this scene not feel so odd on its own. Well, they couldn't afford. Another guitar the, song. <laughs> I, 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 I don't. I'm, no, 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 not too guitar. But like, like, yeah. like, so. Um, Harry Heck is one of three hitmen that all try to kill. That are all brought in to kill Frank one after the other, like at the same time, basically, hmm. all leading up to the Russian. So it's possible that in the script there was meant to be all three of them. And then the Russian, and that wouldn't have felt so odd. Just being one on his own, yeah, you know what I mean, yeah, feels yeah. weird, doesn't it? Um, Harry Heck is is an example of the humor that Garth Ennis introduced. Mm. So it's vastly different to Deadpool or Spider Man comics. Frank isn't making quips and jokes. He doesn't have wacky stuff going on, but. Harry Heck and the others are, in the comic books, an example of Garth's very bleak uh, Irish humour. So at the time, Frank's at war with the Nucci family, Mafia family, and he spends most of Welcome Home Frank killing their top enforcers and soldiers until there's no one left. So in the next storyline, they hire three of the top deadly freelance hitmen. And these dudes are all introduced and built up the way you see in an action movie. Like, every guy has a different speciality. Um, Harry Heck is a southern quick-draw legend who's outgunned, outdrawn and, and gunned down dozens of lawmen in the south. Uh, tall Joe Small <laughs> is a Gulf War marine sniper turned assassin. And uh, Eddie Lau is a deadly black belt in in various different forms of martial arts. They're all hired to come to New York at the same time and they're all hired to go kill Frank because the Nucci family's got no one of their own, no soldiers of their own left. And Frank tackles them one by one. Harry Heck, the quick draw gunfighter, who can, he's been he's legendary. He can actually, if you outdraw him and shoot him, he can dodge a bullet and then kill you dead. So Frank uses a machine gun and riddles him with hundreds of bullets while he sat in his car. No gunfight, no quick draw. I'm not here to play a game. <laughs> it's like they build up the quick draw gunslinger and Frank just turns around the corner with a submachine gun and just pumps him full of hundreds of bullets. And is like, that's the end of him. I He's need gone. to that's read it. this. He doesn't. I need to read this. No, you can't. You can't. You're not allowed. Pick bully. Uh, tall Joe Small, the sniper, who arrives to lie in wait with his equipment and set up to watch Frank. Frank arrives before him and 
as soon as Joe Tall Joe Small arrives to set up his sniper gear, Frank just runs him over in his truck. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even see Frank. He hits him from behind, doesn't see him. And Eddie Lau, the deadly hand-to-hand combat expert, Frank ha- never has any intention of fighting this man. He follows him to- onto the subway and pushes him in front of a train. <laughs> Done. That's Eddie Lau dead. No fighting. It no is karate a bit anticlimactic, scene. don't you think? I know it's funny. It's that's the, that's the point of the yeah. joke. That's the entire point. It's three pages in a row where ba ba ba, and he just Ennis knocks them. You know, takes them all out. And but it's also Ennis setting up this idea that these these ideas that you get from action movies and comic mm. books they are cartoonish. Ah. This is not how you fight. This is not how you wage a war. I'm not. I'm. I'm Frank Castle. I'm the Punisher. I'm not going to get into a karate fight with a guy. I'm not going to get into a you know a quick draw gunslinging. I'm not. It's not going to happen. Imagine that Garth Ennis <laughs> going to hit serious. you with my car. <laughs> well, he's he is and he isn't because yeah, it's all play for I, laughs. But yeah. I, that's the kind of sardonic humour that's introduced. It's a real tonic, and it plays so well with ha- with Frank's demeanour. He 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 is being funny, but he kind of he's not intentionally being funny. It's hilarious. <sighs> Makes me want to read it more. Damn it! Anyway, back to the film. Howard is agitated enough to start throwing things around, and the Cubans are mad enough to march right into his office. The two sides argue. Howard says. They have had a good partnership, but the business was one without insurance, so he refused to cover their losses. Before the brothers leave, he warns them that he has more guns, but that was actually a bluff. Now willing to use all means, no matter the cost, he tells Quentin to call the Russian. Dave asks the, the Russian. Russian. You know, you know that's threatening. So also, there's a bit of a snatch vibe <laughs> to it. Boris, Boris the Blade, Boris the Russian. Yeah? Yeah. Dave asks Frank to help because the man after Joan is in her apartment. At first he closes the door on him but reopens it seconds later and goes to the apartment where he finds Joan and Bumpo there preparing a meal. They invite him in for the meal and after saying what they, th- that, that, what they are thankful for, they eat. Afterward, Dave and Bumpo leave for dessert and Joan tells Frank to make good memories so that he is not always only driven by the bad. He tells her he is not what she's looking for, and leaves. Seeing that, Dave and Bumpo try to cheer Joan up by making dessert and dancing to opera music. The music drowns out the fight happening in Frank's apartment, as the Russian and Frank engage in a vicious fight. The fight eventually leads into the other's apartment, terrifying Joan and the others. Frank soon emerges victorious by scarring his face from hot boiling oil and water and tackling him but injured sorry but injured but injured and the three neighbors tried to patch him up that was horrible wasn't it it's a brutal fight it, it, it was horrible at the same time it felt like a decent old fashioned movie fight you, you, you know something yeah. that you'd imagine in an indiana jones film where you have that one big guy and he's like, oh, this one's different from the others. I've got to use my wits about me. I can't just punch him. I've got to use the environment around me. It, it, it's not exactly shot for shot from the comics, but it's nearly, very nearly. Yeah, I can imagine that 
that fight scene. So I take it the Russian is a character from the comic books because no one calls a character the Russian that has them dressed in a stripy t-shirt like Russian military people wear. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a very funny, slightly madcap Ennis character from Welcome Welcome. Oh, of Frank. course, I knew it. Um, after Frank kills those three hitmen very easily, the mob have to hire this huge mercenary called called the Russian, who is so much stronger than Frank, and seems not just impossible to hurt or to slow down. He actually finds it funny that you try. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's very, very he he he's very good natured. He feels very affable while he's beating you senseless. Um, he enjoys fighting. He doesn't mind pain. And and they have, uh, like I said, fights similar to this, except that he talks yeah. lows. He Frank Frank is silent because he's Frank, but the Russian is pontificating about U.S. capitalism and his hatred for superheroes. It's basically. Garth getting to write his own thoughts <laughs> for a few pages. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I, I don't think I might be wrong. I, I have a memory of the whole issue being the fight scene, but I might be wrong in that. Maybe it's just half the issue, but it's a long fight scene. It's a really funny sequence in the comics because um, the Russian is like, "I tell you why I came to America. I hate your Spider-Man and your." <laughs> and Frank is just getting his brains beaten out, and he's just like standing up, wiping the blood off his face, and then trying to hit him with a frying pan. And and he goes, "Oh, frying pan this time! I see you, my friend." And he's just, it's really funny scene. I can imagine um, it. It's a shame we couldn't have had that kind of comedy aspect from it. Um, the 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 fight ends. Not too dissimilar. It winds up in Blumpo's apartment. Mm. Frank blinds the Russian with a red hot pizza, <laughs> um, and then he uses Mister Blumpo as a weapon. He he crushes Mister Blumpo's a lot bigger in the yeah. comics. He crushes the Russian underneath Mister Blumpo and lies on top of Mister Blumpo. And ref- doesn't let him get up. He's like, you have to stay on top of him until he's dead. <laughs> and he asphyxiates the Russian underneath the 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 mass of Mister Blompo. That remind. And yeah. then he can't carry him. It ends, and Frank Frank has checked that he's he's checked his pulse, and he's he's like he's pretty confident he's dead. But then that page ends with Frank saying, "Just to be sure, I better cut his head off." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, but that's not the end of of the Russian. What? He genuinely saws his head off and and sends the head and the body for the mafia yeah. to find. But later on, the Russian comes back. A, a, a paramilitary group that he was associated with before has recovered the Russian's head and body because he's such an incredible killer. They've used experimental science to like fuse his head and his body back together, and they've used this. Like hormone treatment and, and and this kind of like metal things to fuse him back together and bring him back to life. Although the hormone process gives the Russian gigantic, comically oversized boobs. There we go. I knew that was coming up. And the Russian loves it, and he leans into it, and he starts wearing dresses and necklaces as he laughingly murders people. <laughs> um, and the second time they yeah. fight, Frank throws him off the Empire State Building. Whoa. Um, but that still isn't the oh, end of the Russian. 
he he still is because of all the stuff they've used. He still doesn't die. Eventually, I'm fairly certain Frank um, straps him to a like um uh, like a like a, a bomb yeah. from a plane, throws him out of a plane, and he kind of um, blows up that way. Uh, the Russians are a great a great feature of the of the Ennis Marvel Knights that series. That is incredibly Ennis, um, right down to the boobs. I thought, yeah, that's very Ennis. He would definitely yes. do something like that. Yeah, he's a child. He's he, very yeah. much a child. Um, uh, can I do some of your job? Briefly? I have many jobs. What's my job? I have some production notes Oh, okay. Here. Good. Uh, Kevin Nash plays yes, the I Russian. I was going to mention this to you because I know you're a big wrestling fan. The uh, WWF and WCW former heavyweight champion. Uh, Kevin Nash, for his entire career, his trademark was... Well, his entire career. I mean, there's the Vinny Vegas era, but let's forget <laughs> that. And the Oz era. The Oz era. But it, for his popularity, he had tra- his trademark was long, long yeah. hair. He was a cool dude with really long hair. The Russian does not have long hair. He's wrestling in the WWE at the time. Um... And he's got to shave his head for this movie Ooh. role, and he's got to leave. So uh, that, my friends, is there's something in that. There's something. It, it, there's a rich, grand tradition in professional wrestling that kind of begins in Lucha Libre, but then bleeds up through the, some of the southern um, wrestling companies of hair versus hair mm. matches. It's a very insulting thing to do to not just beat your opponent, but shave yeah. their head when you've beaten them. So there will be these matches where two rivals will put their hair yeah. on the line, especially if you've got gorgeous, long, flowing locks, and that's part of your trademark. And so uh, Kevin Nash did this on uh, Monday Night Raw, a hair versus hair match with Chris Jericho, which he lost and got his head shaved off and humiliated, and then he left left television and touring for a while so he could go off and, and make the movie with short hair. What happened? Up to, did did it did it pay off him? Do you think? I don't think he's acted in another film since. Oh, he's he's he he has um, smaller roles, and um, he's in a he's in a comedy series I watched not too long ago on on Sky and stuff. He's yeah, done other little stuff, but he's he made good. He's got a reputation for the making the most money for the littlest uh, effort in the history of professional wrestling. <laughs> um, so he's That's he's good. good. He's good. okay. So, meanwhile, Howard's men discover the corpse of the Russian. Joan and Frank hide in a secret room underground, while Dave and Bumpo remain to deal with the men. Quentin questions the two and even tortures Dave, pulling out all of his piercings painfully. But Dave insisted on not knowing where Frank is. Quentin finally believes him, and after leaving one of his men to report, should Frank return, he leaves. When Frank recovers, he quickly kills the man, then asks Dave why he would help him. Dave answers, because they're neighbours and family. Bumpo takes him to the hospital, while Frank prepares his arms again, much to Joan's dismay. She asks how he's any different than the Saints. Frank replies, they have something to lose. Joan realises part of Frank's idea was to be killed in battle. So, this was a struggle to watch, because I, uh, as much as I love discussing the stuff, I, I hate torture scenes, I can't deal with them. I, I don't oh, like really? torture scenes. I, 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 I can watch, but I'm very, I, I squirm. I squirm. I, 
this one bugged me because it's like the 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 weakest torture scene I've ever seen in my oh, life. Oh man, no, that's my fear. I don't have any piercings because of this. This this is my exact fear of why I don't get piercings. I, I I have tattoos, but I don't have piercings. It's like, what if I get it caught on something? That would hurt. Yeah, I suppose so. It's never 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 really. It just didn't seem very intense. Like it just felt to me like these hardcore mafia guys would be like chopping off fingers and burning them with stuff. It just felt very weak to me. But it's it's a scene again, almost directly from the comic books. Yeah. So. I'm not surprised. Um, I saw a picture of the who did the uh, who did the drawings of that of that run. That that was Steve, Steve Dillon. Steve Dillon, who who was yeah. I was about Preacher. to say because it looked ex- he looked like a character from Preacher. That that that's a character I could imagine in Preacher. Yeah, D- D- Dillon's Dillon's a, a a very accomplished storyteller, but I think he's got a maximum of like fifteen, twelve or fifteen faces <laughs> in him. And yeah. so he just unfortunately repeat like. Also, I yeah. forgot to say earlier, there you go. the whole <laughs> thing of, of Blump, Mr. Blumpo sitting on him till he dies, that reminds me of another Garth Ennis thing from Preacher. Yeah, when the Pope, the Pope or falls. Or the All-Father, but it basically... Yeah, the, that, 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 the All-Father, yeah, sorry. The, the yeah. gluttony yeah. of that guy always, that was just disgusting. And then you knew what was going to happen. He would, he, he would evolve, his death would be falling on someone because it's cartoonish. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a combination of, of Garth Ennis having a very immature sense of humour. I also I also think he has a, from reading his work for a while, I think he has a strong dislike for overweight people. And I think he puts that oh. in his work. The same way I think he has a strong dislike for slightly effeminate oh. people. Um, as he writes that into Detective Soap and things. Like, he just, he likes to bully characters and hopefully that means he doesn't do it in the real world uh, and i'm sure he i'm sure I, I, he doesn't I, I, he he also he also can be a, a deeply sensitive uh, and an emotional writer and deeply poignant writer he, he, he's he's you know he he yeah he's complex yeah, I, I, he's I, a contradiction i i thought it like the whole uh, pope falling out of the helicopter i thought it was just him disliking the catholic church or something Yep, that's yeah, that, that's yep. a surprising. Sorry, wanted to tick off the bingo there. So for Dave, though, for Dave, this is quite a heroic moment because you wouldn't expect him to hold out in this torture. Is there anything more you can tell us about him? One of one of Steve Dillon's fifteen faces. <laughs> uh, I should point out, Steve Dillon has sadly passed oh. away, um, and after after a battle with with yeah. cancer, I believe, and and sadly missed because as I said he's a he's a really great storyteller um but yeah <coughs> yeah, yeah dave, dave does come dave's one of the few uh, these three are very fondly remembered as this series mm. is joan comes back once frank kind of accidentally stumbles across her um and nothing really happens dave comes back a couple of uh, dave come back once as well so Sometime later in this Punisher series, an entire youth subculture has been created based on Dave's look, <laughs> his style, his piercings, his clothes, mm. everything, the tattoos. They all call themselves, unfortunately, the S word that I don't really yeah. want to say. Um, so they're nearly the slackers, but not quite. Mm. And they all dress and look just like him. But it is, it, it, like, it, that's not a plot point that goes anywhere. And it's also revealed that none of the kids know who first inspired the look that they all now have. 
and so also Dave doesn't know either. So it, it, it's just a little weird background thing that goes nowhere. Dave um, basically cleans himself up uh, by the next time Frank bumps into him by accident. He doesn't have the piercings or the tattoo. Well, he got the tattoos and all that. And he's become a super spotter, like a train spotter, but for superheroes. <laughs> so he goes round New York, ticking off who he's seen. And when he bumps into Frank, he starts to follow him to try and see other superheroes. And Frank tries to tell him not to, but he quickly spots Spider-Man and Wolverine and Daredevil quite quickly while Frank's around. So he's like, oh, this is great. I'll keep following him. And the next thing he sees is a huge fight between Punisher and the Hulk. And the Hulk ends up crippling Dave. Oh. Um, and not intentionally, but he gets caught in the crossfire and severely hurt. becomes a paraplegic. Oh, no. And that's the end of oh, Dave. that's really sad. Also makes, also makes the nickname even worse. Oh. That do you know what that that makes me think that Garth Garth Ennis was just writing there going oh here comes the big payoff. I I don't think he did I don't think he did the rest of it I think he that the rest of it I've, I believe that doesn't feel like Garth and I think it occurred it back in the Marvel regular universe after Ennis was done I think I'm not 100 percent okay. on that okay that's fair so back to the film again Frank breaks into Livia's car. And sets up the same trap for Quentin. Mickey, under Frank's orders, shows Howard the ticket on Livia's car at the Winston Hotel. Howard remembers that Quentin was also there at the time and, suspicious, heads to Quentin's home. Meanwhile, as Quentin leaves his mansion, Frank breaks in. Howard goes in later and discovers the earring in Quentin's bed. Mm. When Quentin returns, Howard greets him at the stairs, startling the man. Howard tells him a story, how one person accuses another of cheating by breaking into their home, moving their furniture, and throwing a knife in the middle between the people involved. As he talks, he moves Quentin's furniture and throws a knife on the coffee table. Quentin claims rightly that he never took a penny from Howard, who laughs and calls him a good actor. When Quentin refuses to pick up the knife, Howard swipes him with it, snapping about how Quentin thought him, fought him as an idiot because Howard treated him like a brother. Howard stabs Quentin to death. When Livy returns home, she sees Howard throwing her things on the floor. He tells her he knows about her and Quentin, that she was his best friend. Upon seeing Quentin's body by the doorway and when shown the ticket by the Winton Hotel, she tells him that Quentin was gay. Howard does not believe her only slapping her and dragging her out to the car. He reminisces about their history and her former prostitute status before they stop at a bridge and he throws her over the side of it onto train tracks where she is quickly run over. Whew. This is the sneakiest thing the Punisher's ever done. It's, it is, Oth is it Othello, isn't it? Is it the Shakespeare? Oh, it feels, it feels a, little, a little in that vein, doesn't it? Yeah. Of... Uh, of, in, of, of falsifying the affair to get the per but but it's not born out of jealousy um so it's a, it's a little odd and there's no black people anywhere in the move oh one right at the start yeah 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 so so as, you, as yeah. you said before this is the sneakiest thing he's ever done I, I i i was expecting going shooting but no we're drawing it out 
And what does this what does this say about John Travolta's character? He's just that's just nasty. He's just horrible. Yeah, yeah. I think he gets put. I think very much at the the bottom of the list of all villains we've. I mean, I I can't think of a weaker villain that we've encountered. He's two. He's a two dimensional mob boss Um, who just goes through the motions, and there is no real character here. There's just no a series of motivations that are linear. He's he's on a par with. uh, Eccleston in Dark World. That, that that really stings me though because I really do like Eccleston. I sure I do as well. You know what? You know what? He's also terrible as the guy in Venom we just watched. <laughs> he, was, he was really bad. He or was him really from Four bad. Lions. He was good in that. Yeah, yeah, it was a bad villain. Yeah. So we've moaned about him. Let's talk about him. Howard Saint is he a villain from the comic books? Oh no. No, That's he's the end not. Of that story. He's not. Um, <laughs> although in the original script, Travolta's character isn't called Howard Saint. Mm-hmm. He's called Bruno Costa. Ooh. And Bruno Costa is an established Punisher mm-hmm. character. Back in the 70s, when the Punisher was being published as like this magazine-style thing, Bruno Costa is the head of the mafia who carried out the mob hit that Franks and his family witnessed. So Bruno is the guy in charge of the men, and he murdered Frank's family. And in the magazine series, Frank goes to war against that mob family, and he, he tracks down and kills all of the different men one by one until Bruno is the... He's, like, saving him for mm. last. Um, but before he, Frank can get to him, Bruno is killed by another warring faction of the of the mob. So... Frank has denied his final piece of revenge. Um, and that's about it, really. I mean, yeah, Howard Saints. Um, there's, during, like, that, that character isn't even really a character. He's not, he doesn't make an appearance in necessarily a Marvel comic book. It's in a Marvel magazine, which prints lots of black and white, nearly pulp kind of strips. Um, but when the weird time when Frank becomes a hitman for heaven, <laughs> hitman for heaven, some <laughs> yeah, some weird demon yeah. resurrects Bruno yeah. Costa. Um, then the less said about that, the I, better. I, I really. know we've mentioned we yeah. talked about the Avenging Angel story, but the way you phrased it, hitman for heaven, sounds like the eighties hair metal album we never had. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ah, so back to the film. Howard goes to his club, where he offers his men money for the one who kills Frank. Alone in his office, Johnny asks where Quentin and Livia are, but his fra- father outright lies to him. In a forest, Frank prepares himself for battle. He kills Howard's guards, then sets bombs to several cars and sneaks into the club. From upstairs, one of the men orders champagne from the small lever. Could have done this at any I stage. almost stopped reading, reading, reading the story to point this out to you, but I was like, "No, Rob, Rob, Rob will be <laughs> there's polite nothing and he's wait waiting. I finish my paragraph. <laughs> there's, there's nothing he's waiting for. Like, there's no, like, I've, you, you, I can't strike now. Howard's not back from the fortress. I can't get into. I've got to wait for him to get to a less secure location. No, he could have done this whenever he wanted. Maybe, maybe, maybe the golf 
club had really high security that was subtle. <laughs> so if he went and he killed him, he would have been surrounded. But when he got there and dumped a, 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 a well, tombstone. maybe they have a weird policy on tombstones. I don't. He's a sniper. <laughs> he could have been miles away. This is true. Anyway, what I was saying in the story, um, he kills Howard's guards, then sets bombs to several cars and sneaks into the club. From upstairs, one of the men orders champagne from the small lever, and Frank sets a bomb in the bucket he sends up. When the bomb goes off, Frank rushes in, shooting anyone that's still alive. He finds Johnny trapped and injured, and forces him to hold on to a bomb. Then he goes out and finds Howard, telling him he killed both of his sons as behind him in the building Johnny screams as the bomb goes off I kind of like that that bomb I think the whole this sequence here is the best this is where I'm starting to really feel it I wanted a lot more of this I, I feel like I'm finally getting to see the Punisher be the Punisher rather than and the fight with the Russian was really good as well. It, it was. This, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, also, he pulled out a bow and arrow. Does does the punch? He does use a yes. bow and arrow. Oh, sorry. I was just saying yes. Yeah, he I, did. I thought I thought you were going to go yes. In issue two five seven, he used a bow and arrow. No, I mean Frankel. Frankel kill you with anything. I've seen him kill guys with nail what guns. About cholesterol. And... Does he just keep feeding him an egg? <laughs> No, I've I've never seen him use cholesterol. Sorry, just, it, have you ever watched the Eric Andre show? Oh, yeah, it's not for you, is it? Yeah. I, I, I like the I like the performer and I like him in sitcoms yeah. and I've seen this show and, 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 and I kind of I it felt like the same gag. That's again fair. And it's, again. It's, it's like it's, it's currently one of my guilty pleasures. I'm not so guilty about, but there was one joke that reminded me of this is where they're talking to a guy who's starring in a Mortal Kombat thing, and then Hannibal Buress just goes, "If I was in a Mortal Kombat game, my finisher would be like stoning them, but with apples. Like I just keep throwing apples at them until they die." <laughs> and I, 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 I that that tickled sure. that tickled me. That tick- uh, apples are apples quite are hard. Quite yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, so. That bit of the bomb, I felt, was a reference, another reference to Mad Max. Something similar happens in the first Mad Max film. Do you remember? Or it's it's more of a case of there's a a bot that like the fuel's going to go off, and he show tell he basically makes a thing saying, um, "You have the, the, this will go off in a few minutes. You 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 can cut through. You here's a hacksaw. You can cut through your your arm well, or through the through the cut handcuffs. However, it'll be much quicker to cut your arm off." I, but I. Yeah, but I think that's just I think I I think that's a okay. trope. I don't think that's like specifically Mad Max. I think there's quite a lot of that whole if you can hold on to this you'll live. If you drop it you'll you know I, yeah. but I know what you mean. that being said that being said the director has said Mad Max influences film a lot so I might be wrong. I well no 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 you you're right. You're right. You're sort of but not really. Uh you 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 are you are you are right. I just I just got a real vibe from it from there. So, uh Frank is finding inventive ways to fight the mic boss. F- sorry, fight, 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 fight the mic boss, mob boss. Uh, does he get inventive? That inventive in the comic books. From what you've told me, from Garth Ennis is wrong. He's very basic. He's very. He. He. In, well, in Punisher Max, yes. In Punisher Marvel Knights, he. No, he ran Wolverine over with a steamroller. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what? Oh. Uh, he, he shot his knob off first. 
Did and Garth then Ennis write he that? ran him over. Garth Ennis, yeah, oh. he ran him over with a steamroller. Uh, slowly flattening him out. And of course, this doesn't kill Wolverine. So Wolverine, well, does he recover from it? Or Eventually, yeah, yeah. That's that's very cut. That's um, very Garth Ennis. He, 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 he found, this is in Punisher Max mm. now, he found the head of a child exploitation ring in the high-rise office with, like, bulletproof yeah. windows. And he threw her, and she hit the bulletproof window, and it didn't break. Yeah. So he picks her up, and he throws her at it again, and it doesn't break. And he's throwing her head first at a bulletproof window again oh. and again, and it is shattering her face and her body, and she's begging, and she's saying, it's bulletproof, it won't break. And he says, it will eventually. And it's something like 38, 48 times, and her body is just... I, I think the better line would and have been... I'm not trying to. It's not the window I'm trying to break. I would have gone with that line. Well, it does break eventually, oh. and she falls out of it. But she's already been dead for a while. He's just been throwing her at the window. That's just but nasty. That's Punisher Max. We'll we'll do. We'll get to a lot of this in the bonus. I am Patreon looking forward episode. to this. I love this. But stuff. there's 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 no way to there's no way to feel anything other than. This is so satisfying because you see the awful things she does yes. in this child exploitation ring. So you go, good. Um, this one time to get finish on a lighthearted note. <laughs> this one time he he killed the mafia using a zoo, a zoo, an entire zoo. <laughs> okay. So he he dunked several of them in with the eels and electrocuted them. And he tossed a few more of them into like the piranha pit <laughs> and had them eaten. And then to finish, he had, didn't have any guns at the time or bombs or anything. He was just alone in a zoo with the mafia, who were all well armed. To finish the job off, Frank goes into the polar bear enclosure and starts punching the polar bears, <laughs> who are affable, <laughs> gentle creatures. But he attacks the bears and punches the polar bears until they all go into a oh, rage. God. And then. As they try to kill him, he runs away and leads them towards the Mafia. And then the Mafia are mauled by polar bears while Frank watches. <laughs> it's better than Preacher. It's better than oh, Preacher. This does... Hmm. Well, I'm not allowed to read it, it's so what, 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 what can I... No. So, yeah, he gets quite inventive. I really want to read <laughs> also, I thought polar bears were faster than humans. Sorry, it's me being an expert uh, now. Well, I, I, I think if we were to like do it from a starting stop and, and a measured time thing, mm. but you know, he punches a load of people, gets them riled up, a load of polar bears. Sorry, gets them riled up, and then you know he runs and they chase after him. I don't know how much space he has to cover, but it, it happened. Superb. So we're coming up to the last few scenes of the film. Frank shoots Howard and shows him the photos of Quentin's affair as well as Livia's other earring. Frank explains he made the man kill his best friend and wife and then ties Howard by the feet to the back of a car and drives him through the parking lot, setting off the bombs he planted earlier. The fires form the shape of the skull as Howard slowly burns to death. I know we were talking about uh, weird demises in this, but it was a bit silly. The way he's dragged off felt like 
cartoonish. I I disagree. Mm. This is so the, the 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 bombs in the form of the skull is as stupid as the daredevil yeah. fire we see. <laughs> yeah. um, it's very yeah. stupid, and it's no. What do you waste all those bombs for? Mm. Oh, the, the, <laughs> they didn't do anything. Just made a the bombs. He should have been using at the start. <laughs> he just had excess bombs. I think the whole thing is far too elaborate and not very Frank-like until the very, very end. And the very, very end is so twisted and dark, I actually think... I, I kind of can see Frank doing some do, doing something. The bit is, um, I, I just killed both your sons. Uh, I made you kill your wife. I made you kill your best friend for nothing. Now I will slowly burn you to death. That felt... That felt torturously enough like frank but yeah okay i don't know it's not quite yeah i don't know i really want us to cover the um, netflix show at some point because <clears throat> i i want to i want to have a chance to go through that again and then we we can talk more about faithful adaptation i yeah. will get uh, we'll we, marvel versus marvel will cover everything we will get oh, there i can't wait so making saint murder his best friend and wife as we said pretty extreme um this is going to be a big question. I'm going to brace myself. <sighs> What's the most extreme thing Frank has ever done in the comic books? Most extreme is a pretty... Uh, I'm saving so much for this bonus episode, the, 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 the Punisher Max stuff that involves Russian silos <laughs> and uh, all sorts, all sorts going on. A shark is involved. And um, yeah, but before taking on Punisher in the regular Marvel Universe that we see in this, Garth Ennis wrote an imaginary story in 1995 called Punisher Kills the Marvel Universe. Mm, in this yes. imaginary story, instead of Frank's family being killed by the Mafia, they all die as like um, casualties, like friendly fire casualties during a big superhero battle. <laughs> so... Frank's mission is not to kill the mafia; it's to kill no. all superheroes. Um, he does a lot of one-on-one killing. He kills Spider-Man and Venom while they're trapped in the sewers. He traps them in the sewers and just shoots them. Um, there's a lot of he kills Captain America. He kills Hawkeye. He kills you know a lot of this. He kills Doctor Doom. What? And steals a lot of Doom's tech. And How does arsenal. he kill Doom? I well, we don't oh, have to <laughs> But but once he's done that, he 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 uses some sets up some fake messages that lures uh, Xavier and the X Men and Magneto and the Evil Mutants to the moon, and then he launches all of Doctor Doom's nuclear arsenal at the no. moon, pr- practically destroys the moon and kills all the mutants. <laughs> uh, and and then he's like, right, off to kill the Avengers now. Yeah, that. Do you know what that is? That is basically someone who's figured out how to turn on all the cheats on Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> That's what's <laughs> happened right there. Ah, uh, so we're at the end of the film now. Back at home, Frank is about to commit suicide and shoots and shoot himself when a memory of a blonde woman, either Marie or Joan, stops him. 
He decides to set himself a new path and leave. Meeting up with Joan, he tells her that she is right. Good memories could save a life. He leaves, telling her he has a gift for all three of them. When Dave is released from the hospital, they find wads of cash left for them. So this is quite a happy ending for Frank's neighbours. I'm worried that given it's Garth Ennis, uh, it's horrible in the comics. (coughs) No, it's it's really sweet. It's exactly really sweet. Sometimes he is capable of sweetness. I have seen this. Mm. Once the big mafia again, he he is writing a a a major Marvel comic. He's gonna have restrictions. He has these. He has to have these yep. considerations, which I feel are editorial oversight is a positive thing. Um, it, it, once the big mafia fight is over, the neighbours realise that Mr. Smith, as they call him, has left the apartment. They go in and find the apartment is completely empty, but there's a stack of this stolen mob money. Um, and he's left it so they can leave the awful slum apartments that, and find somewhere nice to live. Because that's a big thing in the comic, is that the apartment that he has to live in, they have to live in as well. It's a slum, mm. really. So it's it's to use that money to go and live somewhere nice. That's so good. That's that, that's really so there nice. There we go. Well, thank you, Will, for taking us through 2004 Punisher movie to uh, let us do justice to such an important Marvel character, the Mac Daddy <laughs> of all the anti-heroes. What then? Are your final thoughts on on this on this entry on this movie. <sighs> I it's not the worst Marvel film I've ever seen. There were bits of it I really liked, but it's it felt like it felt like a bit of a grey film, if that makes sense. It felt like there was potential here and it's something something held it back, whether it was budget constraints or not access you know, or access to a, de- a decent writer, even though there were some bits I liked. Yeah. I I really wanted a lot more from this. But at the same time, there was enough there to make me go, ah, I had a bit of fun. I had a bit of fun. I think I just, I, I completely agree. I, I think that the, there were some, some scenes that are really positive. The, the fight mm. with the Russian, the, the big the big action sequence at the end is really, mm. really great. Um, it feels like hard work getting yeah. there, though. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Tom, Thomas Jane really wanted to do more with the character and more as Punisher. And he actually shot and filmed and, and starred in a 10-minute short Punisher unofficial um, like oh. fan film that he, he was involved in making called Laundry. Uh, it's got Ron Perlman. Oh, perfect. Um, and that's worth checking out. I, that's, I think it's just up on YouTube or whatever for anyone to have a look at. And he, he was hoping that would be a bit more of what Frank could have been going forward. But it mm. sadly... Didn't didn't come to be. We got the Ray Stevens, the Ray Winston <laughs> reboot. Um, uh, so there we go. And and what then? In all the sparkling moments of history and trivia from this episode, what would you say is your favourite? Will I don't know if there's a lot of favourite ones. There's some grisly stuff. I'm going to go with most memorable. Yeah. And I'm stuck between two. Yeah. Good idea. Uh, Death by fat bloke. And. Death by bulletproof glass. <laughs> Slow death by bulletproof glass. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 full on. Um, your reading list for this week, folks. If you've enjoyed uh, this, and obviously what I've really harped on about was Welcome Home, Frank Garth Ennis doing Marvel Knights. You can find a collection that is just Welcome Home, Frank. 
Um, or for around, it usually goes for around £30-ish, you can get the first part of the Marvel Knights Punisher. It's called Marvel Knights Punisher The Complete Collection. That collects Welcome Home Frank, which is a five, six issue um, st- series. And then the first year of the Marvel Knights series, which carries on from there with Garth Ennis. So that's 12 issues. As well as featuring Punisher Kills the Marvel Universe. That is a great starter point or a great full collection of almost everything we've talked about, really. Um, Ennis on Punisher. You can also check out the, um, what are they called? The, 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 the Marvel, um, oh gosh. The, the Marvel Legends collection, Marvel Complete Collections, and you can find some of the earlier um, Marvel uh, Marvel Punisher stuff, although these are slightly harder to find. Um, but I would really recommend Welcome Home Frank or Marvel Knights Punisher, the Complete Collection. Please, 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 when you are making your comic book choices, please don't use Amazon. Mm. If you're struggling for cash, eBay is a great way <laughs> for you to still get hold of the things you love without giving your money to Amazon. But please take a moment to uh, to, to check out the local comic book store near you. They probably still offer, even during a lockdown scenario like I'm in, they probably still offer a, a um, order online and collect uh, option. And there's plenty of really good independent online comic book shops available to you um a lot of them will ship wherever you are in the country and some ship internationally so please do that that is the end of our anti-heroes uh trip uh i nearly said saga again (laughs) that's the end of our anti-heroes uh detour or journey from deadpool to ghost rider to venom to the punisher think we should cleanse our palate before the end of the year will indeed and we're gonna cleanse our palate in a way i mean you can't get further away from what we've been doing than with the next movie the next movie that will feature on marvel versus marvel is the first cinematic marvel movie in history yes that's right, we're finally doing it. The last movie of the year, Howard the Duck. We're going to be all over George Lucas's greatest science fiction contribution, his greatest science fiction movie, and Will can't control himself I'm right now. I'm trying not to <laughs> let all you be laugh, I'm just I'm holding it all in. Uh, watch along if you can. Um, join us next time as Marvel vs. Marvel tackles Howard the Duck. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Please take the time to rate us, like us, subscribe, leave a review, and hey, why not recommend us to a friend who loves Marvel movies or comics? Join us next time for Howard the Duck. <laughs> <laughs>